This is a journey into sound. Howard 100. On today's show, making his stern show debut, singer, songwriter, 16 time Grammy winner, and music icon, Paul Simon. It's against the law. He's going to be on. Talk music, talk his life. This guy has written every great song. Paul Simon, give me a break. Only on today's Howard Stern Show. Home, when my thoughts escape in home, when my music's I didn't see Baba Bowie live in person because he has the COVID, but I saw Jason and Will and J.D. Harmeyer and Chris and Jamie. And, oh, my God. Uh, there's so many people uh, here. Uh, John Hine. Uh, Robin. Yeah, I couldn't see you because you they were all crowding around you. That was all very choreographed. <laughs> it really was. but uh, they, they were a human curtain in front of you. Yeah. A human curtain was just around me, Robin. And, uh, <laughs> uh, good morning, everybody. All right, here. Uh, well, your hair looks nice for Paul today. Yeah, well, uh, Tony came in and she used the hot iron on it because <laughs> I want to look pretty for Paul. Uh, look, I'm in the studio. Normally, I do the show from my house, and, uh, you know, only Beth's looking at me, and uh, I try to doll myself up for her, but, you know, I pull my hair out with my fingers right? Uh, yeah. normally and do the best I can, but when Tony's with me, she can um, hot iron all the frizz out, so I have beautiful ringlets this it's morning. beautiful yeah. today, yeah. I wore a special outfit for Paul. I am wearing a John Barbados leather jacket that I haven't had on in a long time, but I feel I look good in it. Oh, why um, leather for Paul? Uh, is there something there? Well, Paul now lives in Texas. and That is true. You know, this leather and steers and, you know. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, I feel Paul will like this outfit. I, I made the mistake, though, of wearing a, um, a shirt that's not all cotton, and I'm feeling itchy on my back. I'm not happy about mm. that. Uh, I don't want to be itchy during my conversation with Paul Simon, but I, I fear I will be. I will be itchy, but uh, that's okay. Nothing you'll, will dissuade you'll me. Suffer through. You won't start wriggling around in your yeah, like, feet trying to scratch your back. Yeah. <laughs> I like things to be perfect when Paul comes in, and I have of an itchy course. shirt on. I have an itchy <laughs> shirt on. I, yeah. Uh, Fred is not with me here live in the studio. He usually is. He avoided me. He claims he no, had to be somewhere. That's what I heard. I heard you're avoiding <laughs> Once me. Once was enough, you'll see, Fred. Me, you'll, enough. See me ne- you'll see me next week. There you go. Well, I'm not going to be here next week. Good luck that. today. All right. Thank good you. Good luck today. Good luck. All right. Should be a great, great show. There we go. Thank you. You Fred. know, uh, thank you for I staying was... away, Fred. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Listening to 
uh, a lot of Paul Simon yesterday. I said, let me just immerse myself in the music. Good for you, Robin. And uh, and then on YouTube, some of these things popped up uh, with him talking about his latest album. Hmm. And I was just and then, you know, there would be various blurbs about, you know, his career and when it started and all that has happened. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, my goodness, Howard has a big job. On his big job, big job, <laughs> heavy lifting. Today. Yeah. Well, you know, uh, we'll see where that goes. You got to see where it goes. Uh, let's yeah. go to Marianne from Brooklyn. Uh, boy, Marianne, you're logging in a lot of fun. I can't believe today oh my you in the studio, Paul Simon. Howard, I was 15. I have no musical talent. And that was one of my favorite songs growing up. What song? And I had a Kodak. Uh, oh, Kodachrome. Kodachrome. Uh, slow down. You <laughs> just just skipped over that. Yeah, right. She was 15. Oh, of musical talent wow <laughs> she she claims she has no musical talent i believe <laughs> yes wow. i will not argue with that five people it is reported crashed their cars on the way to work this morning <laughs> listening to that wow 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 we all right anyway until we get to paul later i don't want to have too much of a build-up but uh, i am excited i i really am i just have loved his music my entire life my sister, I, I've said this before, my sister had a record collection, and it was it was not my taste. She was four years older than me. And, and by the way, she liked, um, not Elvis, she liked the Elvis impersonator kind of knockoff guys like uh, Fabian. And, you know, that, oh, she was really? more... Yeah, she well, was, there's no accounting for teenage taste. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> Fabian floated her boat, but, uh, but her, I mean, I remember she had, um, I didn't have a record collection yet, I was too young, but... Uh, she did have the Paul Simon. Simon, I think it was um, the first album was Sound of Silence. She had because it mm. had Richard Corey, April Come She Will. Uh, uh, oh gosh, you know there was a couple of great tunes on that first Paul Simon album, and my sister had that, and I used to sit and listen to it, and I was like, wow, this, out of all those lame albums, there's a one good one in there. There was a I Joan was Baez. Say, by accident. Uh, she lucked out and. Got a Paul Simon record? Yeah, well, she had Joan Baez. That was pretty good. Yeah. But uh, the Simon and Garfunkel thing blew my mind. It also had I Am a Rock on there, I think. I am a rock. I am yeah. Sound of Silence had that. 1966. So I was like 10 years old. And I remember finding that. And I was like, hey, this is an album I like. 
How did that happen? She had a lot of Johnny Mathis, too. And I what did is not... wrong with your math? I'm just sitting here thinking you said... Uh, I was like you... 10 or 11 years old. 1966. 1954, I was born. I'm 54 plus 10. Oh, 60. Oh, all right. So I was 12. <laughs> Sorry. Well, you know. <laughs> I said I was 10 or 11 years old. Give me a break. <laughs> you hung up on my math. You're going to be in big trouble. <laughs> Um, something's wrong there well come on i was off by a year or two i was a young man <laughs> would that you know would that pass if you were taking a, a math test well all i know no it wouldn't i, I would flunk <laughs> but you know and then when i turned 13 i remember that's when i found the beatles so i mean i found sergeant peppers i had already found the beatles but jesus that album was unbelievable. But man, Simon and Garfunkel, shit, those guys, those guys had it all going on. The songs, the sounds, very unique. So yeah, I'm really excited. And okay, I was 12. <laughs> oh my God. <laughs> well, you, what are you, you what are you, school ten. teacher over there? <laughs> all right, let's see how smart you are. Yeah, I'm going to see something. Now I'm going to test you. It's easy to figure out how old you were. They announced the new cast of Dancing with the Stars. I'm a fan <laughs> of that show. And by the way, I think it's coming back to regular back television. To network television, yeah. All right. I'm going to name the stars that will be dancing this season. And I want to see if you know who they are. Let's see. <laughs> Jason Mraz. You know who that is? Is he a singer? Yeah, he is. All right. I wasn't sure either. What did he sing, Jason Mraz? Uh, they get progressively harder, but I, you know what? I got to say, you know how lame Dancing with the Stars is. That's what's so beautiful about it. You can't believe anybody signed up to be on it, first of all, to dance in front of America. And then also, like, you can't believe, like, it, it, it means your career is either in trouble or you're such a nobody that it can only help you. You know what I mean? Yeah, I mean, when they start taking Peloton dance, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah, they had the guy who, they, even had, they didn't even have one of the hot chicks from Peloton. They had. No, the guy. The dude. <laughs> and I was like, really? That's dude. who? That's who you found to be on Dancing with the Stars? Not Hannah Corbin? You found a dude? <laughs> <laughs> do. Oh, God. Oh, Jason Mraz's song, I'm Yours, spent 76 weeks on the Billboard Hot 100 chart. Okay. Um, but, uh, apparently, that's not enough. He now is on Dancing with the Star. Hold on. Art Garfunkel's on the phone. Give me a second, Robin. I have to take okay. this. Yes, Art. Hi. Hey, uh, good morning, Howard. The security desk, uh, they're not letting me upstairs. If you well, you, you're not on the show. show. Paul is. You, you can't come up. Sorry, one second. That's a G A R F. I can wait. I can wait. I can wait. All right, goodbye. Very funny. I like that. You're not on any list. Jason Mraz has won two Grammys, but things have to be going badly if he's going on Dancing with the Stars. Well, he, that's what I'm saying. Like, uh, uh, what has he done lately? Yeah, that's the problem. Uh, let me see. <laughs> Do I have his song here? Jason, I feel bad for the guy. He's got to go on Dancing with the Stars. Sounds like he had a big song, but he didn't Let's have a follow-up. Let's up a thing where we play it every day and try to get him off that show. <laughs> it's like you imagine if Paul Simon had only written Sound of Silence. And then he wrote that in 1965 or 4 around there. And 
now he was going on now at his age he has to go on dancing with the stars because he's like shit i gotta i gotta get something going <laughs> i gotta get somebody to remember it, me. yeah <laughs> uh i don't see the song here oh here it is wedding song i'm yours jason mraz so Oh, I know this. It ain't no American tune, but catchy little ditty. Poor guy. Yeah, I guess he, he's got to go on dance. I think one. that no other song comes after this. Is that what we're saying? Like, he didn't have another catchy tune. Yeah. Well, Jason Mraz's agent called and said, Hey, Jason, eh, I don't mean to bust your balls, but uh, what's the next song? Uh, <laughs> what's the follow-up i've written a lot of follow-ups doesn't seem america's interested or anywhere is interested in my follow-up <laughs> song they only want to hear i'm yours well okay we better have a serious conversation then uh what do you mean a serious conversation what i mean is i think you got to go on dancing with the stars <laughs> what i don't dance well you better learn because uh if you go on there and you know what's sad about dancing with the stars people go on and it doesn't do anything. Happens, it yeah. doesn't. Why would Jason Mraz think I'm going to listen to it? It's how just, do they keep having people fall for it when you don't see any? What are the odds, Robin, that the first dance Jason Mraz sing, you know, dances to is I'm yours? Oh, please. That's 100 percent. 100 percent. You mean to tell me all that time you were on the Billboard Hot 100? 76 weeks you didn't write another song i did write another song for christ's sake what i mean how do you write such a catchy tune and now you don't have any more catchy tunes well you obviously don't know how songwriting works <laughs> listen dude when i signed you i am telling you i had no idea you didn't have another song in you i can't represent you you're going straight to dancing with the stars you're jason Mraz. i thought you had another follow a follow-up, at least. Well, I'm not going on Dancing with the Stars. Okay, then Then you have two choices. What are my two choices? Go on Dancing with the Stars and learn the merengue or drive an Uber. An Uber? <laughs> I can't believe they chose me. Actually, they didn't choose you. They wanted Lou Bega, but uh, he was uh, not available, so they need you. Good Lord. You're supposed to be my cash cow. Instead, you're just a cow. Jesus, you're brutal. You think it's easy to write songs? You're no Paul Simon, I'll tell you that. <laughs> you're not even Art Garfunkel. Hey, vey. I call you a one-trick pony. Oh, God, please. You know, I'm trying to write more hit songs. I don't want to do Dancing with the Stars. Well... You know what they do with one-trick ponies? We shoot them behind the barn. Ah, oh, come on. Certainly there's something I could do besides Dancing with the Stars. You could jerk off on webcam. Maybe some dudes will watch you. <laughs> yeah, fans only or something. What is that thing called? Yeah, yeah, fans. Thank you, Robin. Have you heard of fans only, Jason? Or is it only fans? Only fans. That's right. <laughs> only fans. Now you learn how to dance. What's the matter with you? Hmm. That's a bad fucking call to get. Good news. We got you on Dancing with the Stars. Oh, shit. Really?
Oh, it's my agent. I haven't heard from him in a long time. <laughs> Sorry, I haven't called you in a while, but uh, there really wasn't much demand. But now yeah, we got a nice offer here from Dancing with the Stars. You know, if you get the uh, mirror ball trophy at the end, if you win the whole thing, you get $25,000. Really? 25000 I mean, for your charity. Charity? Fuck you. I, I mean, what charity? I need that money. Well, I'm sorry, Jason. Uh, hey, I told you, write more hit songs. What am I supposed to do? You can't go on tour with one song. All right. Yeah, there's always this hope that if you go on Dancing with the Stars, it's gonna like it's gonna be fucking unbelievable. Like all of a sudden. Yeah, although there's been like one two or two people. people. Okay, two I'll give you the two. I can think of. Okay. Um, uh, the one guy you're thinking of is the guy now who used to be on TV when he was a kid, but now he hosts like um, Access Hollywood. I don't know his name. Uh, well, that's well, they both were child actors. Who are you uh, thinking Mario, of? You're thinking of Mario, Mario Lopez. Lopez. Yeah, he and went I'm on. Thinking of uh, the kid. Uh, well, his I think his last name is Rubio, and he started hosting everything. He uh, was even hosting Dancing with the Stars. Marco Rubio. He, no, <laughs> is it Mar I don't know what it is. Alfonso Ribeiro. El Alfonso Ribeiro. Yeah, he's hosting. Really? He hosted America's. You know, those videos that, uh, you know, the funny video game, the mm. funny video show and a couple of other things. He I wasn't even aware of his fan. A host, too. Wow. Okay. Nice. But that's all I can think of. Yeah. <sighs> Can't believe I'm Jason Mraz and I'm doing Dancing with the Stars. Yeah, well, you better do it or I'll drop you for the Where's the Beef Lady. <laughs> <laughs> You're a cold agent, I'll tell you that. I, I I called first of all, you owe me because I called Dancing with the Stars and I said to him, Look, I represent Jason Mraz. And then they said to me, Who's that? <laughs> I go, Well, that's why I think he'd be perfect for it. No one's heard of the guy. Yep. Listen, Jason, I know it's it's harsh, but uh, you got to do Dancing with the Stars and we got to get the public talking about you. All right, I'll do it. Well, what else can they do to to help? Well, Besides first of all, him just dancing. He's got to get somewhere else, right? You think this guy, could, Robin, could write the next Who Let the Dogs Out? And they wouldn't <laughs> have to do this bullshit. <laughs> yeah, I, I I wish I could write that. Well, anyway, look, you're in, you're on uh, Dancing with the Stars. It's going to be on regular television. And uh, you're on with the dog from Air Bud. No kidding. That one who catches the Frisbee? That's right. Uh-huh. The dog didn't hesitate. He loves it. All right. Hey, by the way, uh, don't you represent Millie Bobby Brown? That's right. I do. I orchestrated her entire career, that kid. Where is she? She's doing great. Not like Jason over here. She's not doing Dancing with the Stars. <laughs> not yet. She, she's marrying uh, the guy from Bon Jovi. She's fantastic. No, not the guy from Bon Jovi. Yeah. His son. No, she's marrying Bon Jovi. John Bon Jovi. <laughs> you really? don't know what's going on. Oh, I do. I'm telling you, I spoke to Millie, and she said she's marrying Bon Jovi. <laughs> uh, 
Now, Jason, enough bullshit. They get, get, learn the cha-cha. <laughs> or you'll be a... Uh, You'll be cha-chaing over to Chipotle any day now, working there. Get on your get on your game, dude. Get those dancing shoes on. Okay. Gotcha. Anyway, okay, here's the game. Since you're you're good with math, let's see how you're good with pop culture. <laughs> Jason Mraz, you got right. The other stars. This one I was surprised. I think you'll know who this is. Allison Hannigan. Oh, she was on the Buffy and the Vampire Slayer. Yeah. And How I Met Your Mother. She's doing right. dance. I, I, I didn't, I'm surprised by that. Do I really want to see her dancing around? I mean, not really, but I'll watch her because I know her work. Yeah. This one I'm interested in seeing, and I think you know who this is. Jamie Lynn Spears. Who's that? Jamie Lynn Spears. Was she on The Sopranos? Oh, boy. The, you know... Wait a minute. Shame Jamie on you. Lynn Spears. Is that Britney Spears' sister? Britney Spears' okay. <laughs> Now, I'd rather see Britney Spears' sister than... Uh, you're <laughs> thinking of Meadow Soprano. Meadow Soprano. <laughs> right. Jamie, you're thinking of Jamie Lynn Siegler. I knew she. there was right. a Jamie Lynn. All right. Uh, then I said, oh, wait a minute. Spears, it's got to be Britney. And guess what? They, you know, I don't think Britney talks to her. That's why she's yeah. got to do dancing with the stars. That'll be, yeah, if, if Britney would just talk to her, she wouldn't have to be on Dancing with the Stars. I say this, I'm going to make a prediction. Jamie Lynn Spears is going to go on um, Dancing with the Stars, and Britney is going to maybe forgive her and talk to her. You think she would come and sit in the audience? No, she will not sit in the audience. She, she will not sit in the audience. But okay. I believe she will do an Instagram video where she's half naked dancing around and says, you know what? <laughs> Everyone vote for my sister. I think she's going to do it. It's going to it's going to melt her heart. Do you want to put money on that? <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> um. All right. This is a shocker. I'm kind of shocked by this person being on Dancing with the Stars. I think it's a pretty good lineup. Mira Sorvino. What? Yeah. Mira is a working actress. She shouldn't be on there. When's the last time you saw her in anything? You know what I mean? Well, she was in one of those uh, for a while on the walking, one of those walking dead things. And uh, I've seen her in some movies. Well, and, she's on you know, dancing with other the... TV shows. All right. Here's a guy you'll know. Barry Williams. Of, uh... The Brady Bunch? Greg Brady on the Brady. First of all, I could swear he did it already. Like, it seems like he's a repeat, but I guess not. No, it was the other one. The middle brother. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, everybody. I think you remember me from the Brady Bunch. And then they'll say also he's done shows and he's a singer, you know, and like Broadway shows. And stuff. Right. Yeah, yeah sure. All right, here's a guy. I think you know who this is. Like I said, for Dancing with the Stars, this is a pretty good lineup, actually. Tyson Beckford. Do you know who that is? The model. The model. All right. Now it gets a little more different, uh, difficult. Adrian Peterson. You know who that is? Adrian. Adrian Peterson. No. You know who I thought that was? I thought that was the girl... Who won America's Top Model, and then she married a Brady, Adrian? Oh, something. no, no, that's Curry. who I thought it was. But Adrian Peterson is a NFL All Star football player. 
Oh, it's not even a woman. No. <laughs> See, I knew that's where this is where you're going to have trouble. Uh, what is it, Gary? No, Adrian Curry. Yeah, right. Who did I say? Well, we were saying that Adrian Curry was Adrian Peterson. Yeah. The one who and, married a Brady. And Adrian Peterson, by the way, is the guy that got suspended some years ago. Uh, the football player got suspended for a bunch of games for uh, hitting his kid with a switch. Oy vey. <clears throat> How are they right. going to explain that? And now, ladies and gentlemen, our next star, Adrian Peterson, who hit his kid with a switch. You know? Fresh, fresh from hitting his kid fresh with from, a switch. Yeah. <laughs> who uses a switch anymore? I mean, uh, if you're going to beat your children, which I really recommend you don't because it takes away all their dignity. Uh, what does he take them out to the shed and cut a cut like a stick off a tree? Off a tree, yeah. Let me, uh, you know, my parents used to beat me with a stick from the tree, and I'm going to continue that tradition. Pull your pants down, and let me, let me, let me hit you with a switch. What could a kid do that you have to hit him with a switch? Oh, nothing at all. Right. That's, uh, you know, it's the parents losing control. The child isn't really the problem. Are you sure on that fact? Because, you know, again, we I don't want to besmirch I don't want to, yeah, Mr. Peterson. Reputation. Right. Gary, Gary's been known to be wrong. And then you go like, hey, the guy hit his kid with the switch. It turns out it was like Adrian Schmiederson. <laughs> you know what I mean? D despite child abuse suspension, Adrian Peterson uses belt on son. I'm looking at an ABC oh, belt. news report. So you see you were wrong. It's not a switch. No, no, no. It, it, it was a switch at first, and then I think it was a belt. <laughs> oh, I see. What you made mean him... he switched to the belt? I'd like to interview him. Go. wasn't getting the job done? I, I don't agree with your choice of hitting your kid, but why switch to the belt? I mean, uh, did you feel <laughs> okay. the stick wasn't effective? Peterson was suspended in 2014 after being charged with felony child abuse for using a, using a switch to spank his then four-year-old son. Four years old. Um, Imagine. My mom used later, a coat hanger to beat me. And then later on, Howard, he admitted that he had um, hit his kid with a belt. That was what that article was about. I see. Can I be honest I with you? With for, for Your else. Honor, I'm not guilty. <laughs> Your Honor, this is obviously made up. I, I never hit my kid with a switch. I wouldn't even know how to do that. I, I used a belt. I want this case thrown out. What did he do? Did he do time for that or something? I don't even know. No, no, no. He, he got suspended um, oh. from the NFL I think it was like four games. Wait a second. It says here in the Bible you're supposed to hit your kids, right? You know, oh, no. It, it, it says he was charged with felony abuse, but I don't know where that landed. He pleaded no contest to a reduced charge of misdemeanor reckless assault. Uh, Two-year probation. Mm -hmm. Two years probation and $4,000 fine and 80 hours of community service. I love that. Did they ever ask him what the kid did that was so bad? I mean, Yeah, what? a four-year-old. He was acting very stupid. <laughs> And he got he suspended for a year. He, he, <laughs> a was, year. He, he was eating his cereal with his feet. What was I to do? I mean, what could a four-year-old do that you have to take a belt and start hitting him? That's so fucked up, man. Mm. Well, if you have to take uh, any child and, and whip them, you're in, you're not, your parenting isn't working. Yeah, maybe. Just realize you're a bad parent. And maybe go for some parenting lessons. Go <laughs> there's parenting school somewhere. Yes, yeah. you know, get some help. What do I do, Robin, when I'm watching Dancing with the Stars and Adrian Peterson is fabulous? I have to, I'm not voting for him. No, I mean, don't I, vote for I him. I can't vote you for can't him. Vote for he's, him. He's, got a, uh, he's got a problem with the public. <laughs> they better not bring that up. How do you introduce a person with that background 
on Dancing with the Stars. You just you just talk. It's like when OJ's on a podcast. Did I play <laughs> that? Say everything. Did I ever no, put, you like, didn't. No, oh yeah, OJ went on a podcast, <laughs> and uh, the podcast like kind of talks about all its accomplishments except for the the killings. <laughs> <laughs> you know, where is that? Hey guys, you got that that clip of OJ? <laughs> you know, here, here it is. I got it. I don't know what this show is, but they really, you, you got to at least mention that. Well, here. Today, we are joined by one of our football analysts, OJ Simpson. Juice, what's up, Juice? Hey, Juice. Cool. Don't come near me. I didn't say anything. So a little background, OJ played college football at USC. He won the Heisman (laughs) Trophy as a senior and was later selected by the Buffalo Bills as the first overall pick in the 1969 NFL Draft. He won five consecutive Pro Bowl and first team All-Pro selections in the 70s. In 1973, he was the first back in history to rush over 2,000 yards. Now let's get into the questions. Hold it a second, but what about... That's all? (laughs) That's all he did. (laughs) After that, uh, he did a couple of movies. Uh, you know, he was, in, he was he great in that movie. Lived quietly until now. <laughs> yeah, nothing else happened. <laughs> it's like um, I was watching. Uh, I was I was talking to the guys. Julie Chen wrote a book. Julie Chen was married to Les, uh, who was up on charges for Les like, Moonves. Yeah, Les yeah. Moonves. But she wrote a book about God, and she loves God, which makes total sense. You know, after your man is so publicly thrown out of his job uh, for, like, fucking around with girls, you know. Who else do you turn to? Well, Jesus doesn't yeah. cheat on you. I mean, <laughs> let's be honest. I mean, if, and, and plus, you know, Les was almost the most powerful man in show business, possibly the most powerful man in show business. He ran Viacom. He could greenlight any project. Yeah, you know, after Les disgraces you you've got to turn to god you got to find jesus <laughs> he's not going to cheat on you and he's more powerful than less sort of so it makes sense that she's writing a book so she went on uh i don't know where she's on she's on some tv show maybe good morning america or something and she's there to talk about god but they want to talk about they bring up less, less. and she's like, is, uh-huh. that, is this really what we're here to talk about? <laughs> kind of, yes, yeah. Yes, yes. I mean, you know. Yeah. How does God help you over less? <laughs> well, God doesn't fuck his secretary, I'll tell you that. <laughs> it's the great. I got to admit, I do take a little bit of delight in less having been known as a uh, scumbag. The man being dethroned, he toppled. toppled. Yeah, he did. He did sue me for no fucking apparent reason. Cost me a shitload of dough and and a lot of sleep. It ain't it ain't fun. Let me tell you, my long illustrious career wasn't fun being sued by CBS Corporation that has endless money to fuck with you. Right. They got a whole. I think the lawyers are in the building. I don't think they ever leave. Yeah, and I, I was like, well, let's. I never forget it. I cried in front of Les. I am really embarrassed by that, but I couldn't help it. I was really upset because in my mind, I had met with all of management. They knew I was going to Sirius. They said, we want you to finish your contract for the year. I said, um, since I talk about everything in my life and I'm leaving, I think it would be weird if I didn't mention that I'm leaving and I've 
And if I didn't talk about what I was up to, and they said, we have no problem with that. Just don't mention Sirius XM. You can call it something else. And I called it, eh, 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 which is lame. But that's what I did. I said, we're going to, eh, 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 and I'm doing this. And they were fine with it for a whole year. And then I left, and Les decides to sue me. Wait a minute. Yeah, that's how I it went down. We were planning this before we left. Remember the day we were suspended? Yep. Because we had talked about where we were going. Eh, eh, eh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, yeah. And, I, and then I was confused, and I said to them, well, anyway, uh, the point I'm making is the guy was really mean to me. And I went to him, and I, I'd never really done this before. I went to him, and I just said, Les, why are you doing this to me? I've been a loyal soldier. I made a lot of money for the company. No hard feelings. We're friendly. We were actually sort of friendly, uh, you know, working environment. Not that I knew him well. And um, he goes, you know, I don't really have a good answer for you. Let me bring someone in to explain to you why we're suing. So I said, you don't even know why you're suing me. Right. He He just said, yeah, go ahead and do it. I said, but Les, you, I'm talking to you. You're the president or whatever you are, the head of Viacom. It just feels like you're, you know, like, it just feels like you're. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, fuck. I was really upset. And then, uh, then I got my composure together and he didn't take mercy on me at all. And I said, okay, time to sober up here. Cut your fucking pussy ass crying bitch and go on TV and fuck with him. I booked myself on the Letterman show. On right CBS. on CBS. Right. <laughs> I wore a I hate Les Moonves shirt. Got in touch with a few people in his life to find out more shit about him. Well, I did my research. And he caved. Yeah, because one thing I knew about Les, he was very consumed with what people thought of him. And I said, well, let me let me, let me see if I can deal with this. But he was pretty mean to me, so. And, and even still, I. I like uh, Julie. We had Julie on the show many times, Julie, and I yeah. do feel bad for her. And look, she managed to stay with Les. I don't know. I don't know what that conversation was like. I think that's like. what Jesus' advice was. You know? Yeah. Was she like, says, yeah, stay with him. According to this <laughs> thing I was reading, Julie Chen was like, I, I was like, um, not into God at all. I never had God in my life. And then something bad happened. And, you know, here Julie is asked about her husband's allegations. She ain't too thrilled. She just wants to talk about Jesus and stuff. Right. A lot of people give you a lot of credit for your faith and for your faithfulness to your husband. But did you ever ask him if these allegations are true? But that's not what we're here to talk about. But of course, yeah, I know my husband. You know, I know my husband. There are two words that are not in the book, and that is me too. Your husband left CBS at the height of the Me Too movement. What do you think of the movement and this idea of believe her? Well, I think that's getting off track from but first God. Um, I think people, we all go through hard times in this world, in our life. And mine are not over just because I found Christ. 
I think we need to keep our focus on him. She's so hot, though. A man. One time I was uh, I was over at Barney's, I think. I don't know where I was. It was some big department store back in the day when they had department stores. And Beth was trying on some clothes or something. Les was there with Julie. They weren't even married yet. And Julie was trying on outfits. So I sat my ass right down. And I don't think you were married either. You no, went. no. <laughs> Julie came out with a modeling, and then, you know. Les, what do you think of this? And I was like, I like it. I mean, you're not asking my opinion, but <laughs> hey now. <laughs> I was like, honey, I mean, this is good. What hey, a, boner. What a, I was like, hello, boner. I got wood. <laughs> hey, boner. <laughs> anyway, so someone said, someone around here told me that Julie has a prayer bench. That's what she was saying on TV. What do you mean? A, what's a prayer bench? Like she goes, I guess she gets away from less and runs out to the prayer bench. Like, I don't know if it's indoors or outdoors, but. Is that something on the property? And she goes out to the bench to pray? Oh, here's JD. He's the one who told me about it. Hey, JD, <laughs> you got COVID? No. All right. Get away from me now. <laughs> you look like you look like you have He's COVID. He's finally over it. Yeah, I'm joking. Just go ahead. What was that with the prayer bench? So uh, she was taking the Juju, the interview. Who's Juju? <laughs> hey, did you just call me Juju? No, I get it. I no. mean, I look at my face. But... Hey, Juju. What is that like? no. Juju was the interviewer? <laughs> yes. Juju Don't Chase. you think that should have been my radio name, Juju? Since people say it behind my back anyway. <laughs> you know what I mean? I don't know about hey, look, it's Juju. I mean, Howard. <laughs> <laughs> Juju is the interviewer's name? Yes, Juju Chang. Woo. I'm Juju Square. Oh, oh Ju she's Juju, Juju Chang? Juju yes. Chang? And she's Julie Chen. <laughs> yeah. Wow. Sisterhood going on. Juju. You know, Juju, I uh, wasn't Juju. here. Juju, I wasn't the... here to talk about um, Les Moonves. I'm here to talk about God. Well, Here's what the higher ups were thinking. We want to talk to Ju Julie Chen <laughs> about... Julie Chen. No, no, no. I'm Julie and you're Juju. <laughs> I, we want to talk to Julie Chen about Les Moonves, but we just, just can't have anybody do it. I remember Let's my first radio station, they looked at me and said, Juju. maybe you should change your name to Juju Jew. <laughs> I go, what makes you say that? My name's Howard. They go, no, no. just looking at you, it seems like it might be a catchy name. Juju Jew. <laughs> yeah, but Juju is the only one who could ask Julie those questions. But uh, yeah, so she was taking her through, I guess... On her property, in her backyard, I don't know where it is, is, but there's like a little area where there's a couple benches and a big cross. And nice. uh, Wow. Cool. <laughs> yeah, that's where she sits and prays, I guess. Super. No kidding. Wow. Did they show her like bent over on the bench? No, she, oh. you know, it wasn't, it wasn't in. She was wasn't mid-prayer? No, not mid-prayer. Yeah. But uh, you saw the area. They should have let me interview. I'd be like, hey, can I watch you pray? <laughs> What are you going to wear? the cross? <laughs> oh, my gosh. It was uh, it was a good... Uh, I'm trying to think of anything. I mean, it might have been like this wall here. You uh, mean to tell me in Les Moonves' backyard is a big <laughs> giant cross with a prayer bench? <laughs> Somewhere on their property, I'm assuming. Wow. I don't know where else they would do this interview at. He's probably so. like, Jesus Christ, <laughs> Julie's gone off the deep end, but what can I say? <laughs> she stuck by me. Julie, how about some sex? Sorry, honey, no sex tonight. I'm going to the prayer bench. Oh, Christ. I mean, okay, I got it. I can't say really anything. She stuck with me. No one thought she would. No one thought, no one thought you, who's in the backyard? Juju. 
Who's that? <laughs> Juju. <laughs> <laughs> well, Howard Stern here. I I thought we settled that lawsuit. <laughs> so, yeah, Jesus Christ! Can't believe my fucking money is going to a stupid bench. <laughs> Les, don't you dare call it a stupid bench. This bench got me through what you did to me. <laughs> Christ's sakes, Julie! I feel like I'm married to the fucking Pope. Even the Pope doesn't have a prayer bench. His cross isn't as big as that. You've got a bigger cross than the Pope back there. <laughs> I used to run Viacom. One thing, if you gave me a hand job on the prayer bench, but Jesus, I mean, good Lord. Don't use the Lord's name in vain. If I didn't have the Lord, you know, Les, you used to be the most powerful man in the world, and now I'm with the most powerful man in the universe, Jesus. Yeah, 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 right. bench bend over that pair bench no less it's not for that back in the day i'd be bending an employee over that bench for christ's sake don't use the lord's name in vain whatever i i'm innocent of all charge i know that <laughs> julie met her husband at work so she knows he couldn't have made any advances to women at work that's right i was a total gentleman <laughs> with julie <laughs> Let me tell you, Les, I love my prayer bench. And you're lucky you're not sleeping on one. <laughs> you're lucky you're laughing in my bed. Thank you, Julie. Who's interviewing you back there? That's Juju. Oh, yeah, let me see. Let me take a look. She doesn't look anything like a Jew. No, that's not That's not that kind of Jew. Juju. She's Juju Chang, Les. I don't know. When you said Juju, I thought maybe Howard Stern was here. <laughs> and he forgives me. No, no, no. That's just what people call him behind his back. It's, that's not his real name. Yeah. I'm sure we had a few uh, general managers who might have called me that. <laughs> Do you think? Yeah, sure. <laughs> I'm not going to name names. I don't. I don't. Uh, I don't. I don't. I know they weren't the greatest people in the world to some degree. Many of them. Robin. But I don't know if they did that. This is less. I'm going nuts. Julie's way to Jesus. <laughs> well, Les, what do you do all day while she's what out do I there do all day? prayer bench? She's out there with the... I, got, I, I said to her, this ain't a fucking bus stop. Get rid of that bench. <laughs> and she told me she'd leave me, and I don't have much, many options. Back when I was head of Viacom, I had a million options. I could fuck anyone. What did you think when you saw that big cross being dragged up the staircase? Oh, Jesus. I thought, well, first I thought, oh, God, if she was nude against that cross, I'd bang her. But uh, <laughs> that ain't happening. Me and that Juju broad and uh, Julie maybe get a threesome. But uh, uh, JD Man, says. Because you didn't marry her. She wasn't like this when you married her. How did she break the news she was, that she, she had was, found Jesus? Oh, God. As soon as my incident happened, which I am innocent of. <laughs> uh, she right away announced the relationship with Jesus Christ. I mean, up until then, I mean, I had so much fun with her. Now, now she's over there with that juju. And I said to her, who's that, your lawyer? Uh, <laughs> pretty obvious. She goes, no, it's not my lawyer. It's a woman interviewing me about Jesus. I go, don't you realize they're only going to ask about me? What's the matter with you? Look at her out there with juju. Burning incense <laughs> by the prayer bench again. <laughs> do you have to do uh, your time on the bench to keep her happy? Yes. Oh. <laughs> yes, I do. 
<laughs> All I'm picturing is me, Juju, and Julie doing nasty shit on that bench. <laughs> Now my life is spending all day watching executive porn on the internet. Oh. I, I went to the prayer bench. Julie said, please, Les, for the sake of our marriage, go to the prayer bench and say something to Jesus. I knelt down in front of that gigantic cross, and I said, Jesus, dear God, please help me get pussy again. I miss it. <laughs> pussy, 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 Lord. And did she change sexually after? Oh, yes. Jesus. Of course. The first day I saw the Mexican gentleman dragging that Jesus cross to hang it over the prayer bench. (laughs) I said, I'm in for big trouble when it comes to sex. (laughs) Now she loves Jesus and not me less. So is it only missionary position? Yes. Yes. Oh, Jesus. Yes, that's right. No outfits anymore. No fashion shows. Yesterday, I went down to the prayer bench because Julie made me, and I said, you know what I prayed for? What? Death. (laughs) I'm too much of a pussy to kill myself. Oh, no. Yeah. That's right. My life is a disaster. Now, your Uh, son is probably old enough that he's out of the house. It's just you and Julie, right? Yeah, it's just me and Julie. I want to take a big shit on the prayer bench. <laughs> anyway, uh, I didn't mean to get sidetracked, but then Julie, Julie, what is this? Let me, let me turn off my echo. Well, yeah, was that? That was when Jesus Les was praying. Pop in. Oh, <laughs> yeah, dear Lord. <laughs> yeah, I just thought it was a nice touch. <laughs> Here I am at the prayer bench. My wife loves you more than she loves me. For Christ's sake, excuse me, Lord. I didn't mean to use your name in vain. What's this for cock the music? Where's Juju? <laughs> I had an argument with Julie. I said, you know, Julie, there's a lot of anal in the Bible. She goes, no, there's not. <laughs> I didn't know I was marrying a fucking nun. What do yeah. you do all day, Les? I mean, there's no meetings. <laughs> what, what do you do? Listen, you, there's nothing worse than your wife coming home and saying she found Jesus and she wants a giant cross in the backyard. <laughs> Look at that. Juju just sat on the prayer bench. I can't wait to go down there and sniff it. It must smell like pussy. (laughs) Easy. (laughs) Uh, Sorry, dude. I don't mean to kick you when you're down, but you you kicked me pretty hard, so I gotta get I gotta I gotta don't mean to kick you when you're down. What are you talking about? No, I'm I'm a religious man. <laughs> you you found Jesus too. <laughs> All I know is I'm going down to that prayer branch and praying to God that Julie becomes a dirty girl again. <laughs> hey, hey, JD, what up? We can put what are up you a, doing here? We can put up a picture of the uh, prayer area. Oh, yeah, let me see. Like. I like oh. Jason can put, put it up. Julie <laughs> says, to, "Yeah, sure." Oh, oh, oh whoa! Wow. That's a nice <laughs> that setup. That's a major cross. Major. <laughs> hey, by the way, Juju's hot, huh? Oh yeah. Oh, hey, two hot women. Look at them. Looking at a cross. <laughs> Instead of my pecker. <laughs> and look at that bench. Oh, it that. does look like something you would find in a park. It does look like a double <laughs> bench, actually. The prayer is it room for less to sit next to her. Oh, there's, there's like, like a couple they benches. Could have, yeah. 
Yeah, they could have a service there. Yes. Well, sometimes we do have friends come over and they pray with us. <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine the kind uh, of friends she has now compared to what, you know, they used to entertain? Yeah, now I, I used to hang out with Sharon Osbourne. And <laughs> now I'm here with Juju. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, how about that Juju, huh? Reminds me of a young Julie. Yeah, Les. Les didn't want to hang out with Sharon and Ozzy. And <laughs> now who's he hanging out with? Holy mackerel, listen to this. I don't know Juju Chang. I don't really watch a lot of network television anymore. I, I'm, Juju Chang, This the, the plot thickens. What? Is married to Neil Shapiro. So now her name is Juju Shapiro. That's the most Jewish name I've ever wow. heard. Wow. Nobody is more Jewish. Hi, I'm Juju Shapiro. What? You're not Howard Stern. <laughs> Neil is the CEO of WNET Channel 13 in New York City. Nice. Oh. All right. Baruch, 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 what is it? What is that, Neil? Neil Shapiro. Baruch, 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 Ashir, Bakar, Benoy, Makalalim, Benatu, La El Tora, El Torato. Is that what you say to Jews? I don't think you're ready. I don't think you're ready for your bar mitzvah. You might need to go to the prayer bench. Maybe become a Christian. Baruch Atorah, Benoy, Wow. Jew, Jew Shapiro. That's unbelievable. That's a very interesting name. Well, you know, one of those Jews has to go. <laughs> no. <laughs> I think they should add one. It should be Juju Ju Shapiro Greenstein. <laughs> she gets married again. <sighs> um, anyway, Julie says she had a very low opinion of herself before she found God. Okay, I'm up for that. Who was Julie Chen before she found God and who is she today? Julie Chen, before she found God, was a self-absorbed, um, career-minded, vain, gossipy, fun to be with, gossipy. but probably kind of a shallow person. Julie Chen Moonbed. Yeah, you were fun back then. Shallow, gossipy. Now... <laughs> Well, we're finding out who Julie Chen Moonves is. Yeah, right. <laughs> she's like, yeah, she's none of those things. As who now knows the Lord is someone who wants to help others, who wants to look at everyone help me. with a soft heart. <laughs> everyone but less with a soft heart. Mm. Oh, God, when you see your wife moving in a prayer bench into the backyard with a giant cross, man, that ain't fun. But he probably, in all seriousness, he was probably like, thank God. She'd throw me out otherwise. You know. Yeah, this this saved him, probably. I got another clip. Julie's really leaning into the God thing. She started the interview with a prayer. Mm -hmm. I'd like mm. to hear that. It's a side of Julie Chen Moonves you've never seen before. Mm. Heavenly Father, Ugh. thank you so much for allowing us to live this day, come together. Hmm. That was a bad prayer. A little blasé. Well, maybe it got better as she went along. You know, she's a little nervous doing this for the camera. Anyway, 
see the press release. There's a press release on the book. Julie Chen Moonves spent the first 48 years of her life ignoring God. Ooh. How dare she? I wish she'd go back to that. <laughs> she had never attended a Sunday church service for much of her life. Well, yeah, I mean, she had a major trauma in her life. You know. Well, what church did she go to? I mean, why do you choose a church if you've never been to one? Well, hey, who are you? Who do you? Who are you? Juju Chang <laughs> over there? How dare you? Oh, by the way, Juju Chang converted to Judaism when she got married. So. That's well, see, see yeah. she can be Juju now. <laughs> oh, my God. They didn't even make her go and learn any of the... Pr they said, your name is what? Juju? Oh, you're in the religion already. Don't worry about it. Anyone who's named Juju is immediately uh, brought into the religion. You don't even have to go through a conversion process. Uh, she had never attended a Sunday church service. Much of her life, her impressive yet demanding career was her priority, with little time or energy for spirituality. Yeah. I remember those days. Now I got fired. She's got plenty of time for mm. spirituality. Mm, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now I sit home. And I said to her the other day, can you ignore God for five minutes and pay attention to my cock and balls and taint? 2018, Julie's life was turned upside down, and the sudden shift in perspective opened her eyes to the biggest opportunity of all, a personal relationship with God. All right. So it was the last thing, huh? Yeah. Something. Unless maybe it's a different, maybe something else happened. Just it, it doesn't indicate what happened in the book here. It just says. I see. Uh, a shift in her life. Sudden shift in perspective. <laughs> <laughs> so it might not have been the last thing, but probably some other sudden shift. Yeah. I don't, I don't no. know of anything that big that happened. Don't blame this God stuff on me. Hey, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, All right, let's get back to Dancing with the Stars. Let's now. It's going to get a little yeah, harder. They we're still listing the news cast. All right, Sochi Gomez. Sochi Gomez. <laughs> what Told is she? That. An influencer? No. No, 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 no. I mean, that that was a good guess, but uh, she evidently was in Doctor Strange Multiverse of Madness. Oh. Oh, you, I, you probably won't know this person, but I would. Charity Lawson. Charity Lawson. If you know her and I don't, she must be a housewife. Close. Bachelorette. She was the uh, girl just oh. on The Bachelor. Oh, the new one. Yeah, it seems to me. And by the way, she's super hot, so I want to watch her and... It's funny with The Bachelor. I watched the whole season of This Girl Fall in Love, and I read the name Charity Lawson. I go, who's that? <laughs> like, I should have known that. Absolutely. Matt Walsh will be dancing. Do you know who that is? I didn't know. Matt Walsh, no. I thought it was that guy on TV who chases criminals and... Uh... No, no, no. Yeah, that's His what... name is Walsh, but not Matt. Oh, he, Matt Walsh is on Veep. He, remember the TV show Veep? He was on that. Okay. Oh, this is ridiculous. You're not going to know this. I wouldn't know. Ariana Maddox. She's on um, Vanderpump Rules. Here's a name I would know, but you wouldn't. Mauricio Umansky. Mauricio Umansky? Isn't he a husband? Yeah. Very good. Husband on uh, Beverly Hills Housewife. They're getting a divorce. Right. Yeah. That's the, what's her name's husband? 
And then there's somebody named Harry Jowsey. Harry what? Harry Jowsey. He's on Too Hot to Handle on Netflix. It's a reality show. I don't know who that is. And Lily Pons. Olele Pons. Who is a YouTuber. You can get on Dancing with the Stars as a YouTuber? Yes. Wow. It's pretty awesome. I watch YouTube. <laughs> Haven't run across Lele uh, Pons. Yeah, Lele Pons is going to be on there. So, you know, there's the cast. You did pretty well, actually. You knew most of the people. I knew almost everybody you did. Yeah, no, you did well. You, I think you knew a few more than I did. Uh, David, you're on the air in Ohio. What can I do for you? Actually, it's David. That's what I said. David. Oh, oh, that's what he said. Pierre, I'm sorry, Howard. Thanks for taking my call. I am so excited to have Paul Simon on with you. One question I would love for you to ask would be, uh, it was the 1975 or so. You're not going to find too many TV moments like this when George Harrison and Paul Simon were both on SNL and then they both did. Yeah, I'm going to uh, talk, I'm going to talk to, hopefully I'll talk to him about George Harrison, but listen, everybody's making me very uptight. If you, you know what I mean? Like, uh, let's just have a conversation with Paul Simon, see where it goes. You know, I can't load up my brain with everybody's questions. I got my own <laughs> questions. You know what I mean? Like, like I you know how long how we worked on getting Paul Simon on the show? <laughs> yeah. I think it might take you a little longer, but when you get him, you ask him that question. Yeah. But I will ask him, David. <laughs> I promise you. I mean, uh, I mean, I don't promise you anything because I could space out and get into a whole nother area, but. I just want to have I, a conversation with the man. You know what I mean? I just want to have have a nice conversation. I'm excited he's coming in. He's he's very deep, Howard. He is very yes. um, you don't write thoughtful. You don't write Sound of Silence, Bridge Over Troubled Water, and Seven Psalms if you're not deep. That's no. Oh, Robin, you're in big trouble. On our line what? is Sochi Gomez. <laughs> yes, Sochi. <laughs> Robin, what the fuck? You don't know who I am, bitch. Hello, uh, Sochi Gomez. The fuck, uh, hi, Sochi. I was in that thing on that channel. I was in the chick with the jacket in the movie. You're a YouTuber. You All right, that obviously not Sochi Gomez. Just one of our no. goofy people doing something. Silly person uh, doing a weird accent. <laughs> I don't know what Sochi Gomez sounds like. <laughs> I guarantee you, not like that. <laughs> Lele Pons is from Venezuela, 54 million followers on Instagram. Whoa, okay. 18 million subscribers on YouTube. Respect. <laughs> Respect is right. <laughs> I, now I know why they have her on Dancing with the Starship. She turned for 54, 54 million yeah. Uh, followers. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. More than Maurizio Umansky. I think she probably will go far in the contest. Yeah. I don't know that Adrian will last even like the first week. Monday Night Football has a new theme. A little bit country, a little bit rap. Chris Stapleton and Snoop Dogg, two friends of the show. They cover Phil Collins in the air tonight. Oh. You know what? Well, that's the new theme for NFL football? For Monday Night Football, Carrie Underwood is Sunday Night Football. Okay. I hope it's a very masculine sounding song. Oh, yeah. It's got to get ready to beat your ass. Listen to that.
let's get out to the prayer bed. <laughs> Fuck yeah, let's get a concussion. Let's go um, break some legs. So the guys were telling me I don't I don't follow football, but uh, a dude died at the Patriots game. At the, a fan, he was in the stands. Yeah, some guy knocked him out, and the guy hit his head on the ground, and he died. Punched him in the face twice, I think, and he went down and he never got up again. I can't believe that doesn't happen in more games. You know, someone was telling me, what? if you, but a lot of people go to the game. Let's say the game is scheduled for uh, 3 o'clock in the afternoon. Or They'll go to the stadium at 8 a.m. and start drinking. Oh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like who, hey, Gary, who was telling us someone went to, someone goes to the stadium at 1 p.m. for an 8 o'clock game? Yeah, one of the guys on our staff is a giant season ticket holder. He got there at three o'clock for an eight fifteen game for drinking. But, um, but, but the good <laughs> I mean, news I would is, think they, everyone would just kill each other. Yeah, the good news is, I think they cut off drinking in like the fourth quarter at the game. But I mean, you wow. should see the parking lots of what's going on. People bring Howard. People bring like mobile homes with kitchens, <laughs> and then they just start cooking and drinking at all hours. It's nice. insane. Yeah, I mean, but this guy was wearing. A Patriots jersey or a Dolphins yes. jersey? It was a Patriots I think he jersey. Got, I think he got hit by a Dolphins fan. Yeah. Yes. So he's, but you know, and I've always thought it was crazy when, you know, like the Bloods and the Crips with their different colors, yeah. you know, you just see a guy wearing the wrong color, you beat him up. Well, that's what sports fans are. You got the wrong shirt. It's not the first time. This happened at a, this is some years ago. It was a Giants Dodgers game. San Francisco maybe, and LA. Ever think that maybe you don't like sports if you need to be that drunk? I mean, uh, you know. Yeah, it's just an excuse. <laughs> Who is I telling took, me? I, Will said he once went to a game. He got so wasted before the game that he fell asleep. I think it was the second uh, quarter. Second, second, what was quarter. it? The Bills versus uh Philly? I don't know. He got so well, fu- Howard. Yeah. I took my kids uh to a game when they were younger. You know, so you go to the game. My kid's like, you know. Excuse me, Lucas is like, what game were you at? It was a Bills-Dolphins game. Oh, I was Bills in college. Dolphins. It was yeah. snowing its ass off. I woke up. I was covered in snow. I was like, half buried <laughs> yeah. in snow. What, did you just drink? The, like, oh, yeah. It was in college. I was drinking the whole way to the game. And then we probably drank for three or four hours before the game even started. And then. Uh, and yeah. nobody even brushed you off. They just no. left you just there? Just left you in the snow. <laughs> <be> there. It's <laughs> pathetic. Hey, it's snowing on Will. Let's just leave him here to sleep it off. Yeah. You wake up. You're like, it is snow. You're a snowman. Exactly. Hey, what happened? <laughs> I was watching the game. Next thing I know, I'm covered in snow. It was That's messy. Up. You must have been so drunk. It's like, you know, the cold would have oh my god we used to get so hammered at these games i i remember at a giants game i got removed once for my own safety that's what they told me because really? they thought giants fans were going to kill me and then will didn't wow. we almost get into a fight online once <laughs> yeah you, you I and mean, I were going to the, uh, aren't you guys going to the jets game this sunday yeah i think so yeah i think so well you got the covid gary yeah i'll be nine days i, I think i'm good by then yeah but you're not are you in the clear <laughs> are you testing negative I, well, I got to see. I'm going to wait and see. If I test negative, I'll go. If I don't, I, I'm going to decide by uh, by uh, the end of today. You sound yeah, pretty what good. Is the cutoff. They usually say five days or something, yeah. right? My doctor said five days if I'm if I don't have symptoms. So I'm just waiting to see how it goes. You got the Paxlovid, right? That works. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah Gary's it's, not no, it's too, it, too hard. At it's, time. It, it's good. It's good. But wait, I just want to tell you what happened when I went to this football game. So I got my kid with me, right? So we're walking in, and when you're walking in, everybody's drinking. Everybody's drinking till the last second. So the announcement goes, you know, no beverages allied, uh, you know, allowed inside the arena. So one guy's drinking, drinking. He's got a bottle of Bud. He just decides to hurl it against the wall. Right. And it smashes. So then all the other guys see it. And they go, 
great idea. It's like boom, 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 boom. And stinks of beer. There's glass flying everywhere. My kid is like scared shitless. Yeah. I remember going to a baseball game one time with my dad. And uh, there were guys drinking beer. I, d- I had never even smelled beer before. And I was scared. My old, my old man didn't do anything to calm me down. But That's exactly what Lucas said to me. He goes, Dad, it smells like beer and I'm scared. That's ex- it was his exact words. <laughs> hey, by the way, speaking of COVID real fast, Richard's eyes won't focus this morning. He thinks it could be from COVID. He should have taken what? Paxlovid. What's wrong with you? What's going on with your what eyes? What do you mean his eyes won't focus? What does that mean? I'll tell you in a minute. He was a mess yesterday. Was he? I was like, why are you working, dude? Take some time. I, I think he's getting worse. Well, have you ever heard his kids screaming in that house? That's You'd be working, too. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he became a workaholic once he had kids. Uh, you can't focus? No, it's, I don't know what's going on. I don't know if it's from that or what. But yeah, it's my from that. just won't focus today. How many fingers am I holding up right now? Eleven. <laughs> no, zero. <laughs> By the way, it's, don't be scared. I, I don't think you could focus when you didn't have COVID. <laughs> Senior work. Sloppy. <laughs> Come on. Um, I work my well, ass feel off better, dude. I know you're you, busting your balls. Howard, the other thing is. I wanted to ask him who this doctor was that told him, no, you don't need Paxlovid. Look at it. He's a mess. Yeah. Having a hard time, huh, pal? Yeah. Yeah. It sucks. You got I'm a fever? not sleeping. Uh, no fever, but I'm just not sleeping. And real, my chest is killing me. So, mm. but I'll get through it. Did you stop drinking at least during this? Yeah, I don't. Yeah, no, I don't feel like having a drink. Well, that must be bad then. Well, no, he drinking. should stay with the COVID. Yeah, because he doesn't drink when he has. It. Maybe that's why my eyes won't focus. I'm not <laughs> drinking. <laughs> Maybe you're withdrawing. Yeah. Yeah, Richard's history with doctors is pretty spotty. I remember when he first moved to New York City, his parents warned him not to see a dentist because he heard some <laughs> right, things about bad that. bad things happen to you when yeah. you go to the dentist. Don't go to no dentist. So Richard finally went despite his family's advice, and he had like 15 cavities. Richard, wasn't it something weird like your sister went to a dentist once and something bad yeah. happened? Yeah. yeah, yeah. I remember your sister went to one of them in Mount Pilot, and we brought her there, and... She didn't have a real good experience. Yeah, but we don't even know what kind of dentist that was. Well, a vet. Yeah, he used to take out our our cow had a toothache. and (laughs) They put her in the stirrups. (laughs) What do you mean? What do you mean your eyes aren't focusing? Like, like literally, are they? What do you see? My vision's blurry today. Yeah, I mean, I I, kind of have to close one eye to be able to read. And even then, it's not. Can I tell you something? Go to a yeah. fucking doctor, dude. Like a yeah. real I mean, yeah. well, like, I yeah. probably have to do a video visit or something since I have COVID. But well, yeah, I'll yeah, check, do it. Get checked out. Has this ever happened Definitely. to you before where your vision went? Um, no. No, not really. I no, mean, when I drink. There was a reason but... <laughs> he was drunk. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. At an Eagles or Chiefs tailgate. <laughs> yeah, my vision's blurry. Richard grew up in Kansas, so in high school, he was voted most likely to go to a dentist and die. 
<laughs> Howard, it's so funny. When we first came to Sirius, we, we got dental insurance and I was so excited. Uh, so I went to the dentist and they saw dollar signs in their eyes with me because I had like 15 <laughs> yeah. cavities and uh, the insurance covered some of it, but not all of it. But yeah, I had to get a lot of work done. When Richard first started working here, you once yelled at Sal for brushing his teeth. He told, and then, and then Richard just said, all you have to do is wipe him down with a towel. <laughs> yeah, I'm but isn't kidding. he the guy whose yeah. whose jaw was rotting? Well, I told Sal, I was like, "Why are you brushing your teeth? It's the weekend. We're on vacation. Yeah. <laughs> we don't have to go to work." Yeah, uh, and then I just I wiped. Uh, I had been drinking wine, and I wiped it onto a towel. Hey, anyway, um, hey Howard. Yeah, I don't mean to interrupt, but uh, I think this is really a scary thing that Richard should go to a doctor because I'm reading this thing. Uh, yeah, the coronavirus is probably affecting his vision. And they go, people with this complication can develop blurry vision or even sudden permanent blindness. Oh, so geez. you might want to take a trip, Richard. Yeah. Uh, Richard's like well, not even phased with that. He goes, well, maybe. I'll see. Oh, my I'll, God, I'll, yeah, I'll pull my teeth out with pliers. Yeah. I have to pull I'll, my eyes I'll out. get over it. <laughs> Yeah, I, I don't think that's going to happen to me. <laughs> Howard, Howard, I will tell you, one of the reasons you definitely don't want to get it is like, aside from everything else, I'm living like a divorced dad who hasn't found a place to live yet. Yeah, I know. You know what I mean? <laughs> I like, don't want it. Like, my family eats in the kitchen. I eat in another room. We're watching TV shows together, except I'm watching it from the bedroom. They're watching it from another room. Like I'm not allowed anywhere near anyone. Yeah. Anyway, um, hey, so I was talking about the NFL. The guy who I always think blew it was that, uh, Hank Williams Jr. dude. He, he was the, he had the song for, um, was it, I think for Monday Night Football, Hank Williams Jr. and, uh, yes, Rowdy Friends Are Here or something. Remember this one? And then they had, they, they had to fire him because he said some weird shit on Fox News. Then he went on Fox News and compared President Obama to Hitler and and the NFL. Just you know, it was like crazy shit. What gets into these people? I don't know. You know, if you get a good, I mean, what a great gig. You ask Carrie Underwood. I did. Uh, she says it's fabulous to have that kind of exposure. And now uh, Snoop and uh, yeah, look at poor Jason Mraz. If yeah. he had had the Monday Night Football song, he wouldn't be on Dancing with the Stars and practicing the merengue today. <laughs> I'll start with a, an easy question. Who do you like in the GOP race? Nobody. <laughs> Nobody. You remember the golf? You remember? You remember the golf game they had, ladies and gentlemen? Yeah. You remember the golf game? Banner. That was one of the biggest political mistakes ever. Why? That that turned a lot of people off. <laughs> you know, watching. You know, uh, you know, it just didn't go over. <laughs> You mean when, when John Boehner played golf with President Obama? Oh, yeah, yeah. And Biden and Kasich, yeah, uh-huh. What, what did yeah. you not like about it? It seems to be a really pivotal moment for you. Come on, come on. It'd be like Hitler playing golf with Netanyahu, okay? Okay. Not hardly. In the country this shape is in, the shape this country's in, I mean... <laughs> No. So, yeah, I don't understand the analogy, actually. Well, it's. Well, I'm glad you don't, brother, because a lot of people do. You know, they're the enemy. They're the enemy. Who's the enemy? Uh, Obama and Biden. Are you kidding? The Three Stooges. 
That's only the two. one that makes the most sense is Herman Cain. Herman Cain makes more sense. Well, one thing I'm gathering from from your uh, very emphatic statements this morning is that you are not a big fan of of the parties coming together at all to kind of try and find compromise. No. All right, uh, let's on. talk about we're, Monday Night we're, Football. We're more, polari- we're more polarized than we've ever been, guys. You know it. You know, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. We're polarized. You know that. Yeah, well, you we're didn't. You didn't because right you, you, used, you used the name of one of the most hated people in all of the world to describe the, the uh, I, I <laughs> well, think, the president. Which, which... Yeah, that is true. But I'm telling you like it is, that, you know, that just wasn't a good thing. It just didn't fly. Anyway, so he lost his Monday Night Football gig. What a... Just shut up. Here's what he should have said. I sing about football. Who cares what I think about Obama? Crazy stuff. Um, yeah. Two. No, I'm just sitting here saying to myself, they, this is, it's pitiful because he doesn't even make a, he can't string together enough words to make a thought. And yet it cost him his job. Yeah. People have to keep quiet. Uh, ben, you're on the air in Georgia. Hey, now. Uh, first time, long time. Thanks for taking the call. Hi, Robin. Good morning. Good morning. Uh, Howard, my biggest question for you has to do with your hobbies, actually. I'm curious, uh, when it comes to chess versus painting, did you like more the feeling of winning when it comes to chess or more having total control when it comes to your painting? <laughs> Each of my hobbies can make me feel bad. Um, really? Yeah. Uh, uh, chess, I had to stop playing pretty much uh, because uh, it drove me crazy. I do not like losing at chess. It makes me mm. feel intellectually inferior. And sometimes you lose to like 11-year-olds. And I don't want to feel <laughs> that way. But if the 11-year-old is a genius, is uh, it better? It's really bad. to be. I've done that. I went down to that chess club in Manhattan. And he got beaten by a, 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 a toddler almost. Oh, my. I'm sitting across from him watching him calculate. And I went, what? This isn't for me. I do. <laughs> you know, what? and I'll tell you what. Chess drives me nuts. I go online and play. Mm-hmm. And when you're winning, let's say I take a guy's queen, literally. The gentlemanly thing to do is you resign, right? I mean, OK, right. you're done. Uh, or you can play on, but you're probably going to lose. People online, what they do is. They lose their queen. I take their queen. Guy's obviously a shitty player if I'm taking your queen. (laughs) And uh, what they do is they stay on and let the clock run. Now, there could be 12 minutes left in the game. They want you to sit there for 12 minutes. They want want to punish you for, for winning. It's such immaturity. I can't even wrap my, like, if somebody takes my queen, I resign and say, congratulations. These fuckheads on the internet are so messed up. This is how messed up people are. Okay, you lost. Just say goodbye. Now you know why they have to have umpires and referees in games because people people will try to flaunt the rules. Well, what I do now is I go on this chess website and I sign up as a beginner. I'm not a beginner, but I only want to play beginners. Because I win every single time. I don't think I've lost ever. Now you're happy. The other day I got angry. I go, I'm playing a guy and he's really good. And I go, holy shit, this guy's a fraud. He's a, he, he knows how to play. I'm here to play beginners. I was so angry. And then when I beat these beginners in, you know, in 11 moves, 
they won't resign. They just sit there. So chess drives me crazy. Painting drives me crazy because trying to figure out how to paint something or how to come up with the colors uh, is just insanely difficult. It's just so hard. In fact, in a lot of ways, it reminds me of listening to Paul Simon when he talks about composing or coming up with a song. It is so difficult to take something that didn't exist and then create a painting. It's just it's a, it's one of the most difficult things. And then then I'll go online and see somebody painting so beautifully that uh, I go, Jesus, well, I have no business painting. No business. It's, it seems to just be rolling out of their brush or whatever utensil they're using. It's like when Eric clapped and went over to watch Jimi Hendrix play the guitar. And he said, what am I doing playing the guitar? <laughs> Look at this guy. He's playing with his teeth. He's playing with his dick. He's fucking lighting himself on fire and he's playing. I, I, I'm out of this. That's it. Enough. Hey, Howard, who do you think was more competitive, the person sitting across from you or are you competing with yourself? Me competing with myself. I am a, I torture myself, and my father's voice is always in my head. You're stupid. Sometimes I'm playing chess or painting. I go, you moron. I say this out loud. I go, you moron. You're nothing. You suck. Oh, I appreciate your time, guys. Have a great day. Well, thanks for that. Why do you call yourself a moron when you hated it so much? It's my internal voice. But you say you say it out loud. Oh, right. Well, nobody's there. I'm by myself. <laughs> I like to hear what my internal voice sounds like. <laughs> Never heard him before. Oh, is that what you sound like? You're a nasty <laughs> you son of a like bitch. my dad. Yeah. <laughs> Coming at you. Little music from the cult at WNBC. Beautiful moment for you. Geraldo Santana Banana coming up next. <laughs> How was that? Nice talk. Up. I didn't get the WNBC in before it again. I love this song. The Cult, ladies and gentlemen. I just read the uh, New York Times obituary. The guy who was Imus's Geraldo Santana Banana died. Larry Chance, who was, in a, uh, was a, a doo-wop singer. who was very well-known. I should. Um, I like some of Imus's crew. I didn't like Imus, so sorry to hear that Larry Chance is gone. I don't remember the crew being too nice to me, but uh, I thought he was one of the nice ones. He was fine. He, he, you know, those guys didn't really. They didn't bond. Nobody was really but, embracing of me, but I think they yeah. were afraid because their boss was. They didn't want to piss yeah. him off. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. You don't want to lose that lucrative gig. Yeah, they didn't want to yeah. want to. Uh, leave him yelling at you about everything. No, you know, I, I think everyone was petrified. <laughs> <laughs> so I don't hold it against the guy. He's, he's a very talented man. That's what I said. I'm sorry yeah. he's gone. Yeah. Not yeah. sorry I'm Mrs. Gone. <laughs> We're sorry to see anyone leave this planet. <laughs> oh, not I'm Mrs. Anyway, yeah. Where was I going to... Uh, we did talk to Richard during the commercial. So, dude, if you're losing your vision, you better get to a He's doctor. He's sitting at home losing his vision and doing nothing. And I told him, Isn't I said, that "Amazing." Yeah, that's what I mean. He's he's from Kansas. He's like, you know, <laughs> he's not neurotic. I'll tell you that. I'll give I'll give him that. Um, if I heard like, "Oh, my vision's blurry," I'd be like panicked. But right, 
Now, Richard, I said, are you still going to be able to put those fizzies in your asshole uh, if you're blind? October's coming. We need you. <laughs> we need you. Finally, <laughs> finally need you. Stop it. I already messaged my doctor, so yeah. I'm going to uh, get right on that. Get this. Get on it. Yep. Because I, I do want to put those fizzies in my butt. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and also, I guess we'll have to keep you because we can't fire you once you, you know, you're handicapped. Uh, so, <laughs> are you going to really be able to do your job? Are you feeling your way around? Or what are you <laughs> yeah. I'll, be, I'll be feeling Sal's cock. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. He can lead me around with his cock. I'll right. just hold up to his cock. You're not allowed to use a cane. Hey, anyway, yeah, yeah. I do want to get to... Uh, listen, seriously, take care of that. I mean, uh, you know, be Thank smart you, about Art. that, okay? I'm, a, I'm on it. All Thank okay. you. Okay, pal. Um, that's Richard Christie. Uh, oh, fan feedback. A lot of fans were uh, interested in the fact that Lenny Dykstra was very excited. Lenny Dykstra was one of the great New York Mets and uh, called in yesterday to say he was very excited. He is now injecting his penis and getting full wood, as he said, hard on. Real wood. Real wood. Robin, I've got real wood. Like the kind of wood that's going to, like, your head's going to explode from his wood. Uh, Lenny called in to tell me he's feeling a lot better now that uh, he doesn't have to take gas station dick pills. And he's getting penis well, injections. Well, working anyway. So now he has his injectable. A friend told him about it. And he's a, he's a man again. He's not depressed anymore. I'm getting blood flow right now. One minute, uh, this is from a fan. One minute in this morning, and one of the best baseball players of all time is preaching about injecting a drug into his dick that he heard about from his 70-year-old drug dealer. Greatest show of all time. Yes, yes. Mm. I didn't even understand that. Oh, I heard 70-year-old drug dealer. Okay. I, I think I gasped when he said it. <laughs> I figured most I 70, like, I, I thought that that was sort of an anomaly because by the time you're 70, you kind of either wise up and get off drugs or you're dead. You know, you don't, it's not many 70 year old drug dealers. Now, this is a drug dealer who took care of himself. Yeah. <laughs> so he's still with us. Howard, it's much too early to hear about Lenny's penis. It would be great if you could take that under advisement for future discussions about his genitals. No, no PC talk before breakfast. Uh, Howard, every Major League Baseball rookie should listen to this Lenny segment. If one of the greatest players of all time can end up like this, you need to think through your life choices. Keep it in your pants and don't do drugs. Well, anyway, Lenny was so charged up after the show yesterday and excited about his wood. He left us a message for Rob, and this is... Uh, oh, jeez. I know it's a private <laughs> message, but we should share it with the audience. Yes. I, why didn't I get it yesterday after Lenny called? Hey, hey Robin, it's Lenny. You're, you're mad. Nails is back in action, and Nails is fucking again. I can get wood again. Real wood. And I will reroute you. First, I'm going to inject my dick. And then I'm going to inject my dick into you. Robin, Robin, how's the bush? Is there a bush? I need a bush. If there's a bush, then I really will inject my dick into you hard and fast and fast and hard. I know there's a bush there. I fucking know there is. I know it. I know it. I know it. He's like a clairvoyant. He knows it. Uh, uh, as far as I know, there is no bush there, Lenny. Unless Robin well, switched it up. He's not going to get an opportunity to see anything anyway. Right. But do you see the fantasy? He might as well have uh, 
Richard's blurry vision. It's just not going <laughs> to happen. You have no, you're saying right now you have no interest in uh, Lenny Dyke. None. Zero. Zip. Wow. Well, the man is on fire for you. I mean. Well, look at what he'll go through to have an erection. Yep. <laughs> that you got to admire. <laughs> yeah. Wow. With pussy lips wide open, sticking my tongue inside, I'll lick your cunt and... All right, maybe that's too early in the morning. One Any of the- time of the day, that's too much. Too much? Here, let, let's just try another one. <laughs> I will turn your pussy into... All right, let's go. <laughs> <laughs> hey, Robbins, uh, Nails here, Benny Dykstra. I know you're a boxing fan. I'm ready to rumble in your bunghole. I'm going to eat you out. Lenny will eat you out. I'm going to eat you out. Wow. Lenny said eat you out. All right. Boy, How does that... he keep going? I just don't know. <laughs> yeah, right? <laughs> There's a lot of people I know, who, I, you know, you think aren't going to last that long, but Lenny right. keeps going. Wow. Uh, Dr. Brosman is on the phone. Yes, doctor. Hey, Howard. Hi. How are you? I'm good. What can I do for you? Uh, well... For Richard, the problem with COVID is it affects all your muscles in your body. That's why it makes you feel so weak, and it affects your eye muscles, so you can't focus well. Mm, Well, he should contact his doctor. You agree? He should definitely contact his doctor. Eye care, very tough to do over the phone, though. Right. In a telehealth visit. All right. Well, I don't know what the answer is, but I don't know. He needs to call a doctor. That's all. Yeah, I, can I don't do. know what even kind of doctor he called. I don't think he called an eye doctor. <laughs> I don't know. I just opened up the yellow page. <laughs> <laughs> I don't prepare for any kind of emergency. <laughs> all right, Dr. Brosman, thank you. That's scary as hell. What can I tell you? Uh, Paul, go ahead in Wisconsin quickly. Howard, great talking to you. Hey, I just had a quick question. When is Robin going to give it up and just get with Lenny one time? <laughs> I'll tell you something. One time. <laughs> Uh, let me tell you what happened. Robin heard Lenny, uh, Lenny's message, and she found God, just like Julie Moonbeg. <laughs> I have a prayer <laughs> bench and a big cross. If you go over Robin's house, there's a big prayer bench there. It kind of <laughs> drove her to... Oh, here's an interesting thing. Um, a lot of people wrote in about Ronnie's wedding. You know, we were doing wedding talk right. with Ronnie. Everybody loved it. Everyone loves hearing Ronnie talk about the wedding. Oh, God. Uh, you have to do more episodes of Wedding Talk with Ronnie. I was in the car listening. I had to pull yeah, into a parking lot. Yeah, maybe the line. wedding should never happen so we can keep this segment up. I was laughing so hard. I was crying. Angry Ronnie is the best. Ronnie, more of that, please. Um, comedian and actor Jay Chandra Shekhar. Wedding Talk with Ronnie Munn had me laughing hard. Also, fake Rosie O'Donnell calling a sex line was incredible. Oh, and we have some breaking news. Hey, Ron, I gotta, I, I hate to break this to Ronnie. What? Oh, let me take this. This is breath. real? Real. Real, 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 real. He's gonna, he's gonna be upset. He's gonna say he's not, but he is gonna be upset. Ladies and gentlemen, a Howard Stern exclusive. <laughs> you sitting down, Ronnie? Yeah. Okay. According to Bubba the Love Sponge broadcast yesterday, he is uh, no longer going to Ronnie's wedding. Uh, Did you know when was he going to let me know? 
Hold on, Ron. Listeners wrote in to tell us about it. I just heard Bubba the Love Sponge say he's not coming to Ronnie's wedding. Bubba announced he's not going to Ronnie's wedding today. How could he miss this event? Um, and, and here I do have a clip. Are you, are you, are you okay listening to this? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. I'm fine. Uh, it'd be nice if he would have let me know because, you know, we have to pay for this shit. Let's, uh, let's listen to the clip before we, you know, say anything. The first That's weekend what? of October off and then second weekend a monster truck show at the at the track so yeah i don't have any any free time i was supposed to be in vegas uh, but i gotta i gotta call ronnie and cancel (gasps) you haven't done that yet no bubba you need to get on that why is that disrespectful yeah because they're planning for x amount of people oh oh. plates okay cool then i'll get a hold of ronnie today what are you gonna say do you want to do a dress rehearsal no try run um uh, no, I, I think I probably, it's probably a private conversation that maybe I should only have with, 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 okay. with uh, sorry, uh, with Ronnie. Yeah. I don't think this needs to be all spewed out everywhere and then it'll get misreported back to him and all, all the trolls will make, you know, something about nothing when, you know, it's a very personal matter, personal matter. Right. Thank Understood. you. Yeah. Thanks. Problem. Appreciate it. Well, there it is, Ron. What do you want to say? Well, guess what? Uh, what? Guess what? What? He never fuck. He never fucking called. So there you go. I knew you were going to be upset. <laughs> no, I mean, <laughs> fucking call and tell me. You know. You know, Ronnie likes having. I'm pay- we're paying big shit money for this shit. You know, him and and his girlfriend were supposed to be coming and uh, merch it'd trick. Be nice if you merch fucking trick. call. Whatever her name is. Ronnie said he was calm, but you see, he is pissed off, right, J.D.? No, I'm pissed off because he didn't call to tell me. Dude, we just yeah. finished making all the fucking arrangements, and now we got to reorganize everything. Yeah, that fucking was, asshole. Instead of calling Ronnie yesterday, he decided to go on his show today. Well, to, let me so tell you something. Explain why. Let me tell you something. <laughs> I knew Ronnie would be upset, but I knew he better find out quick because yeah. I, I'm going to say something. Ronnie gets excited. And as many people do, that a celebrity was coming. Oh, stop well, it. Well, come on. Bubba's important to you. You like the idea that there'll be some no, celebrities. No, it was nice that he was coming. Yeah, I was, I was, I was happy he was coming. But okay, R- fine. But fucking let me know. I, I think, think these other fucking assholes, the other fucking assholes who never fucking responded, they can go fucking suck my ass. Don't tempt me. And you know you all know who you are. Oh. Ronnie, I'm gonna tell you something. I hear how upset you are. I knew it was gonna be you were gonna blow a gasket. And yeah, this dude, is it's a blow. not because it's not because he's a celebrity, it's because I'm paying for this shit. You and know, I'm, when like you invi- said, when you invite celebrities, you know they live in a different world. They're like, oh yeah, it's yeah, cool. Okay. I can wait. I can wait to yeah, tell Ronnie. Yeah, big fucking celebrity. Yeah, Bubba, he's the biggest. Not only that, they can say yes without checking a calendar. Right. Oh, I knew Ronnie was going to yeah. go apeshit. Monster trucks. Monster <laughs> trucks. <laughs> Give me a break. Is that really fucking even racing? Monster <laughs> yeah. What is monster truck, Ronnie? <laughs> Honestly, what is that? Those big fucking trucks with the, like the big pickup trucks with the big giant wheels. wheels. They jump over cars and shit. And Bubba needs to see monster trucks. He's seen tons of that. He's got one scheduled. Yeah. Oh, at his at his racetrack. Yeah. Uh, Well, so you're you're, Bubba Raceway Park. So you're upset, uh, obviously, as you say. Not only is he a celebrity, but call me and tell me what are you getting on the fuck? I don't listen to your fucking show. I told you right away. You know, I was a man about it. 
Yeah, it was very nice of you. There is a theory that Bub is not going because I'm not going. That's what someone I said. I was afraid he'd say that. Like, Whatever, who cares? Bubba, what's what's on your mind? Hey, hey, Howard. Hey, listen, Ron. I'm very sorry, buddy. I want to call you first. I want to tell you I was on, a, on the air doing a deal. I had to do the deal. Listen, I could send Gene Lasker in my place, get the whole powder coating down there. He can bring one of his girls. Don't have to worry about it. But Howard, come on. Ronnie, I was waiting for Howard to go there. Howard decided he's not going to go. I wanted some FaceTime with the big man. Come on, Ron. You understand, Howard. You understand the deal, buddy. All right. Hey, Thank dude, you. You sound like you sounds like he has COVID. <laughs> All right. Listen, fake. That's fake, Bubba. That's fake, Bubba. Oh, I'm sure Bubba will call you today. Yeah, I'm sure. Well, did he go? Wait, on no point now. The... No point now. Don't even fucking call now. I already know. Thank you, Howard, for telling me. I don't well, need him to I, fucking call me. I knew. I knew it was not going to be good. Did he have yeah. another explanation, Howard? Did you say he went on, or somebody said he went on the show again today? And talked about it. I don't know. Yeah, you know, let, let, listen. I know it's a sore spot for Ronnie. I know how he feels, and uh, I'm going to wait for Bubba. Well, you, you, you know how I feel for the wrong reason. No, I know how you feel. You, you're putting a lot of thought into this. You had Bubba all set up at his table. Uh, you, you, you put lay down money for guests. I know how you feel. You know what I could do for you? It, just tell me if you want this. If you don't. I'm going to announce now that I'm going to the wedding, and then Bubble will be back in. Bubble will be back in. That's right. And then, <laughs> <laughs> and then, and then I just fine. want to show up. All good. Nah, I'm sure he has a good reason. I, I know. Oh, Bubba. I'm He's, sure. Monster <laughs> yeah, truck. Sure. Yeah. Monster, monster truck. truck. You know yeah, what? Monster trucks. I asked somebody. Someone said the monster truck thing is pretty fucking great. So uh, <laughs> the big, big truck. But but why does Bubba have to be there? Uh, Wait, the monster truck? It's, it's at his it's place. His, they're doing it in his track. His track, I'm assuming. Yeah, does he have to be there to of course. open the gate? Of, of course, course he, he does. He's Bubba the Love Sponge. Down in Tampa, he's got it. He's got to be there. He's got He's got to drive you around in his pickup truck. The, the doors open up when you're going around a curve. You fall out of fucking truck. Yeah, he's got to be there for anyway, that. There you go. Hey, listen. Thanks for the call. And listen, I'm just, I'm the messenger. I'm not, uh, no, I'm not saying anything. Yeah. No, yeah. I, well, I'm glad you told me, to be honest with yeah. you. Yeah. Yeah. All right. There you go. Like I said, like the other assholes. All right. Who, who don't even have the fucking balls to respond. You mean you had other people not respond? Oh, yeah. Get out of here. Yeah. Oh, they know who they are. Who? Ralph, right? Assholes. No, no, Ralph. I talked to. Ralph okay. finally called. Ralph, I talked to. Yeah. All right. What's he got going on? <laughs> it's called uh, you know, fi financial uh, trouble. <laughs> Ralph doesn't know how to say no. That's his problem. Right. He he felt bad. I talked to. No, him. he did. No, we yeah. had a nice long conversation. Yeah. Well, listen. What can I tell you? This is what happens with weddings sometimes. Destination weddings especially. Yeah. Dude, yeah, that's, a big that's deal. fine, but fucking just say no. Right. You All know right. what I'm saying? Just say no. Like Betty Ford said, just say no. Exactly. Or is it Ronald Reagan's wife? One of those guys. Whoever. Yeah. Uh, that was Ronald Reagan's wife, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Remember her? All right. Anyway, uh, I, right. Well, I'm sorry, Ron. Hey, uh, let me uh, no, go take a so break. Sorry to be the bearer of bad news. Well, I'm glad I know. I'm going to yeah. take another break and um, 
Tony's going to come in and doll up my hair for Paul you Simon. You want a second go around with your hair before oh, yeah. Paul comes in. If you stay in your seat, you'll see Tony <laughs> fixing my hair, though, for Paul Simon. <laughs> I want him to uh, at least find something attractive about me. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. Tony came in so I could look nice for Paul Simon. Well, nice. Okay. Yeah. And I, you know, I admit I want to look good. Maybe what I'll do is I'll pee again right now and get everything out so I don't have to. I hate interviewing someone and feeling like I have to pee. Yeah, you want to be comfortable. I want to be comfortable and relaxed. <laughs> people say, how do you prepare for an interview? Well, I pee a lot. <laughs> it's my extra, extra secret. <laughs> Always pee before. Yes, Fiona. Fiona's from Canada. Wants to say something real quick, and then we have to uh, take a break. What is it, Fiona? Hi. Hi, Howard. Uh, hi, Robin. How's it going? Good. Uh, I just wanted to say thanks for having Paul Simon on today. It's a great choice, and like every time you play his music, I can sing along with every word. I'm growing up listening to Simon and Garfield on my house. I thought and of one something. More thing. I think... There isn't a person in this world. I mean, or maybe in some remote country or something, but I think everyone knows who Paul Simon is. It's like you don't have yeah. to. It's unbelievable. For sure. Well, I don't know, Howard. I mean, not everywhere do they play rock and roll. Oh, they do. Oh, yeah. Oh, they do? Yeah. You don't know and that. And even those countries where people go, oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they know him. They're like, oh, Paul Simon. All right. Fiona, I got to go. I got to get ready. All right, thanks. It's a nice flashback to childhood. I want to say one more thing, actually. I was listening this morning to Winfred's Money, and you got to have that little fuck Mehmet on it and, and play Winfred's Money to put him in his place. Okay. All right. Maybe we'll fuck take you up guy. on that. All right. There you go, Fiona. All right. All right. Thank you. Okay. Bye, guys. It's is Fred still playing when Fred's money? I think he retired. No, he, he could. I think he can. I think he could come out of retirement. Come out of retirement yeah. for my man. All right, I'm going to uh, take a little break. This is the part coming up. In case you're just tuning in, I'm sitting here with Paul Simon, but I want to get his reaction to this riff. Here it comes. Simple. Yeah, it's nice. Beautiful. All right. Nice. Wow. Nice little rock rock riff. I'm, I'm pretty sure that's Paul playing, too. Playing. Oh, yeah. No, that isn't playing it. Uh, I've interviewed him about it. And All right. Thank you. <laughs> now I can't get rid of the riff. The riff is there. Paul Simon. This is exciting. Uh, by the way. I've been, I mean, not that I ever thought I'd get you in the studio, but now that you're here, I mean, I think it's like I, I've waited a lifetime. The first album, I remember my sister had a collection. She was four years older than me. And she had a really, in my opinion, a lame collection. And the only good album she had was that first Simon and Garfunkel album. And all the my first uh, Simon and Garfunkel? I'm ta well, which one you mean? I, I'm saying Sound of Silence. Oh, okay. You know, I shouldn't say the first. Right. But still. Richard Corey was on there. Mm -hmm. uh, April Come She Will. Mm -hmm. oh, I mean, I mean, it was crazy how great it was. Well, I'm glad you liked it. Oh, well, I think the whole world liked it. You know, I tuned in the other day. I'm, I'm on YouTube and I'm thinking about you. And I see this dude on there and he, and he has a YouTube video. He says, learn to play the guitar like Paul Simon. 
Oh, really? Yeah. That's interesting. I like to see what he... I don't know how, how, the, what, how the guy could possibly do that, but... Uh, well, I watched it, and it made my head spin. Well, he had it? Well, first of all, I realize... Do you think people recognize how good a guitar player you are? Have you? Yeah, pretty much. You do? At this point, yeah. Whenever I see these things, uh, oh, you know, the greatest, yeah, they, you know, Clapton. Oh, no, they don't do that. Because, uh, no, they don't include me in that list. Be, uh, for a couple of reasons, I, I don't know, really. I, I think the main thing is, is that I'm, a, I'm an acoustic guitar player. Right. And uh, when they think of great guitarists, they think of guys who can, you know, shred. Right. Uh, uh, as opposed to... Uh, uh, what kind of fingerings you're doing on the neck and what inversions of chords you're playing and it's a different kind of uh, as I'll show you what I mean yes uh, I'm over here I mean uh, first of all like uh, acoustic playing in rock and roll is really uh, is really um Keep a close watch on this heart of mine Keep my eyes wide open all the time That's Johnny Cash is playing that And Luther Perkins is playing that Right On the electric But, the, but he's So you think of that aura Well, that's all right, mama so Elvis was playing acoustic guitar at first, although on that uh, 68 special, when he comes back, he's playing, uh, I don't know what he's playing, a Gretsch or something. He's playing yeah. on a... Um, With the leather outfit and the whole thing. Uh, but the great acoustic, the great, great rhythm acoustic player is... Don Everly. Yeah, you love the Everly Brothers. That was the whole thing that got you going with the uh, Garfunkel. Like uh, you wanted to imitate them. It didn't get us going, but when we heard what got us going was uh, first we sang with like three other kids in the neighborhood, uh, a typical doo wop group. But uh, and it was uh, Angel and Ida Pellegrini and, Where is it? and Johnny Brennan. And an Artie and me, and that, and that, and we said we we were making up doo wop songs, but then you know we couldn't keep it together, five kids. So, and Artie and I lived near each other, and the other two lived like you know a bus, couple of bus stops away. So those poor bastards. If they had only lived closer to you, they they might do do those guys, the the other three people in the doo wop group. When you hit it big, even at fifteen, you hit big, and you're on American Bandstand. Do those kids are they are they like please Paul just take us back they, they put us in the band I mean I would go nuts if I was one of those three guys it's like being beat best and not being in the Beatles <laughs> well I don't know I think you know I just lost contact with them because we went to uh, we went to the same junior high school but we went to different high schools like they went to Jamaica Jamaica High School we went to Forest Hills High School so oh you went to I, Forest Hills oh you were doing okay in life that's a pretty decent school. Um, Jamaica was okay too. Jamaica yeah. High School was was okay too. Forest Hills was a very good, a very good high school in Queens. Uh, we lived in Kew Garden Hills, 
So it was a bus ride to go there. Well, anyway. But, but uh, get back to the guitar to, for a second. Here's so, what my, uh, when I heard. Yeah, go, go ahead. ahead. Now you go. The first, uh, the first group that we heard. Mm-hmm. I, well, I don't know what key I'm in. You're mine, you're mine. And we belong together. Yes, we belong together. And that group was called, uh, I think it was called Robert and Johnny. Uh, and what they did was they sang, that was the melody. You're, you're my, you're mine. That was the melody, but the harmony was, you're mine. And we be, and we belong together. Anyway, the thing that I wanted to tell you about it is that the Everly Brothers sang with Phil singing the harmony above the melody. Robert and Johnny sang with the melody, with the harmony singing below the melody, which is a very interesting sound. The sound of silence is Artie singing melody and I'm singing the harmony below. Uh... The boxer is me singing the melody, Artie singing the harmony above. The, Phil sang above harmony and Don sang melody. Uh, the Beatles' early records had quite a bit of, I don't know who it was singing the harmony, Paul probably to John, singing below. Hmm. Uh, what you get is a very different kind of uh, duo sound. So we actually started off with a pretty big, even though we were 15 years old or 14, 15 when we heard this, uh, we, we had a big piece of information, which was that you could sing harmony in two different ways. And, uh, and for us non-musicians, what you're saying is if... Hello, darkness, my old friend. That's the that's the that's the main yeah. guy, and then you can either go below that. I'm in the wrong key for this. And I'm singing. And um, without the two voices, can you sing? Sure. Are you kidding? You've never heard uh, my songs? <laughs> so you sing, well, Ready? I'll sing. <clears throat> Wait a second. Let's see. Hello. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk to you again. I wrote that in my bathroom. It's hard. It's hard. No, you're good. I'm just, it's the <laughs> It's me. It's okay. earphones. Let me just see for a second. No, that's really how Because I'm, I'm really in the wrong key. <laughs> Have you got, uh, uh, this is, it should be what, coppoed way up so I can sing it. Do I have a capo in uh A capo de tutti capo. Capo, please. Um, anyway. So this will be, uh, this is our, our first album that we're now beginning to work on. We're, we're, doing, on, we're doing cover songs. You and I are in, uh, <laughs> you're singing lead and I'm singing the below harmony. And can I tell you something? If you had teamed up with me. I wouldn't be off doing movies. I would have counted my lucky stars that I hooked up with Paul Simon, the greatest composer ever, 
and he's letting me sing my songs. You want to you wanna record uh, an album? <laughs> well, I'm there, pal. Oh, I see I, where you're going. You know exactly where I'm going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, please. How lucky to find, you know, you think about Dionne Warwick finds Burt Bacharach. She didn't screw around. She was like, my God, thank you. He went to Forest Hills High School. Did he? Yeah, so did the Ramones. Yes. Huh. Joey was the greatest. Joey had a great voice. I didn't know I didn't know the Ramones. I knew, you knew him? I knew Joey yeah. very well. And he had a terrific voice. You know, people don't think of him as that way. But getting back to the guitar for a second. When you, I don't know if they have a capo or not. But when you play the guitar, people don't recognize the fact that also you're singing and singing harmony while playing and f this finger picking style right is that uh, a capo no it is oh it is cool it's not mine but it's okay right. but okay we'll get to that in a second i'm real nervous singing with you i gotta tell well, we you we don't have we don't have to because it actually no, I mean, to, I'm be, a, to I'm be honest a, it wasn't that great let's see i'm <laughs> i know uh, <laughs> hello darkness my old friend i've come to talk to you again but i just it's just fun enough for me to get you to sing the solo of it hmm. but, <laughs> i wish i had my lyrics up uh, i want i don't want to screw up the lyrics this no, is a big deal I, you know what one of one of the one of the uh tenets i have of songwriting is this the listener completes the song. Yes, I've which, heard you say that. Which means you, know, you sing whatever lyric you know, and that's what the song <laughs> I is. I vey. And very often, I people sing a lyric, and they have words that are different, or one word that's different. And they have a different interpretation of what the song means as well. And rarely, but sometimes... They have a better understanding of what the song is than than my understanding when I wrote it, and it's it's valid because the the lyrics support their interpretation, which is which is different from mine. It's it's really quite uh, it's a very uh, it's pleasurable to me as a writer to have this other revelation come to me from what the person hears i've heard you talk about that and it blew my mind you're so right whatever you had in your head when you wrote like sound of silence it doesn't matter in a sense i'm going to sit and listen to it you've right. already written it that's right it's and gone. i'm going to come up with my new meaning that's right and it's and sometimes you, and maybe your new lyrics and sometimes I mean, at this point, all I do is sing about Metamucil, so it's pretty creepy. <laughs> but uh, what, what, what I'm saying is, you, this is a very profound thought. I had uh, Steve Miller on. Oh, Steve Miller. You know what? Just not that I want to go into this subject, but in terms of the philosophers of rock and roll, which has been in the news of late. Yeah, because, right. Because yeah. of... Uh, of, uh, of, uh, of Jan. Jan, Jan's thing. Yeah. They should have asked Steve, Steve Miller. He, I think Steve Miller's band was one of the really good, great rock and roll bands of that, of his style. But a really good rock, and, really good rock and roll band, and from what I understand, he's a he's a very a very good band leader, which I'm not surprised about because his records were very pristine, beautiful. Fifty years of um, he did a special for us. Came in with an acoustic guitar, did different arrangements of like Big Old Jet Airliner, and he said the same thing you said. He goes, "This song that I, you know, it's taken on a completely different meaning." Yeah. 
That's true. And I said, wow, that's unbelievable. And he's a lot like you. He talks about bits and pieces that he has of songs and that he kind of edits them together. And, and, and it was so I'm so I'm not shocked to hear that you like him so much as an artist because mm -hmm. he thinks a lot like you. I think, you know, talking about underrated, he's he's really underrated. Yeah, he's his uh, his sense of groove and and how hooky his lyrics are uh, it really made him one of the really good rock and, rock and roll bands small bands you know uh, if I think of uh, of rock and roll bands that I like different is different uh, completely different but I would put the almonds probably up there at the pretty close to the top did you know those guys no, I didn't. I saw them play at the Fillmore East. They opened up for Blood, Sweat, and Tears, and they got booed off the stage. Nobody knew who they were. It was the saddest thing you ever want to see. No, I could think of sadder things, but oh, I take your word that uh, they were booed off the stage. It's crazy. And and they, were, they, they, they were a great, great band. Did you see them when the, when uh, Dwayne was was in the band? It was the original band. It was the, you know, It was their early years. That's great. And Dwayne was some guitar player. Yeah, he was. Oh, just he amazing. Was, he was. But where were we? We were talking. Well, we were good. We're going to talk about your guitar work and stuff. But I'm also talking about some of your influences, too. I mean, uh, you, you know, listen, we're all over the place. But as long as we're talking about influences, I mean, we could talk about uh, this. Mr. Lee. Oh, yeah. Oh, you love this. Well. Well, I'll tell you something about this. Well, first of all, I loved this record when I was a kid. So, uh, but um, during the pandemic, when uh, Edie and I were doing little like uh, home tapes of things, you know, for for uh, for different uh, you know fundraising things, yeah. I said to her, "Let's do Mister Lee." Uh, and then I, I I took the record and I I listened to it and I, I analyzed what they're playing and what they're playing that what that band is playing is very sophisticated. It's not simple. It's it's not a simple. What? What? Where were we? One, two, three. It's not that. Look at Mr. Lee. Three, four, five. If you listen to it, if you listen to the guitar part, it's a syncopated guitar part, and the drum part is the drum part is also really good. This is not just a typical pickup band in a studio. And in fact, on the record, the the band is credited by name. So. They knew what they, they really knew what they were doing ryth rhythmically. It's, and, it's locked in. It, did it piss you off that your father would say to you, your father was an accomplished musician? Yeah, my father was a professional musician. Right, made his living. Jackie Gleason band, wasn't he on the Jackie Gleason show? He, he was, he was essentially uh, a, ba a band that played, uh, 
Uh, it was a, you know, a club date musician. He had a band at Roseland for uh, for 25 years, his band. He would... I remember as kids, my brother and I, my mom would take us into 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 Manhattan and see his band. He played Thursday Thursday afternoons, and we'd see his band. And he played, uh, you know, the American Songbook uh, for uh, for dance music. But would it piss but, you off when your dad would say to you, "The music you listen to is basically garbage"? And, uh, and no, you, he didn't say that. What did he say? Uh, well, it was close to that. Yeah. He, you know, he said it was uh, dumb, dumb. But uh, you know, coming from where he was coming from in a big band era, because that's where he grew up in, and he was a musician who studied music, he read music, and he could play all kinds of music, which is. As he said to me, that's so how we were trained. So we could play a foxtrot and we could play uh, uh, a tango or we could play uh, whatever, a Charleston or whatever. whatever was that, that's what musicians were sort of, that's how he was trained anyway. So for him listening to... Uh, He said, you know, all oh, the same chord structure all the time. Was he encouraging to you when you started to play the guitar? Always he he, got, he bought me my first guitar. But was he encouraging? Was he supportive of you? Uh, yeah. Uh, yes, he was. Uh, he said, uh, um, don't be a musician. Don't be your, make your career a musician, but you know if you're, but learn how to play, and uh, you can work your way through college with it. You don't have to be a waiter if you want, but don't be a musician. And my mother said, "Don't be a musician. It's terrible for your for the, your wife. She's never never can go out on a Saturday, Saturday night or New Year's Eve or something like that." Well, no family back then wanted their kids to be an artist because they, that meant uh, you're going to be broke. You're going to live a hard life. It wasn't even conceivable that someone would be an artist. Right. It was not not within the culture that I grew up in, the, the term artist. You know? Don't you thank God that you had the wherewithal from somewhere, who knows what, to stick with it and to see yourself in the music business? I mean, you know, I don't know. I always thought I Am a Rock is about your father, not about you. It isn't. I don't know what it's about, but it isn't about him. There are some songs that are about my father, but... <clears throat> Not that one? I'm a rock, I'm an island? No, I, I, I wrote that song. Oh, that's a little... That's just when I used to write acoustic things and uh, play, little, uh, play little licks to start it off. I wrote that song when I was living in England. So, uh... I don't know what that was, what it was about. Just a kind of uh, post-adolescent angst, I guess. You know. See, I you see you talk about songs becoming something. To me, that might be your most meaningful lyric. And I've said it. I don't think there's a better lyricist on this planet than you. I am a rock. I think of my father. I couldn't get through to him. I couldn't connect with the man. He gave me nothing. Well, that's a perfect example of the listener completes the song. Your song, and that I becomes a, a very meaningful song to you because of your relationship to your father. And that song 
that song, you know, shines a light on that relationship and you interpret it about, I guess you're interpreting it as about him. Yeah. I am a rock. I'm an island. And a rock feels no pain and an island never cries. So he was a distant guy to you. Is that what you're saying? He had had so much trauma in his life that it was just safer for him not to show anything. But you came to that realization much later, I would guess, huh? Absolutely, after a lot of therapy. I mean, yeah. yeah. And then I said, oh, I Am a Rock is about Paul's father. Right, it isn't. But that's fine. It's fine. It could be. It could have been. But as it happens, it wasn't. Uh, I'm sure there are a bunch of songs of mine that are about, let's see, I can think of two immediately, but they're not well-known songs at all. One of them is called uh, On the uh, the Hearts and Bones album, which was my first solo album that was not a hit. Right. Uh, 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 It had a lot of good songs on it, but none of them were hits. Uh, And I wrote a song called Think Too Much. And uh, and then I said, you know, for someone who thinks too much, I really ought to write a second song called Think Too Much, because I, I think too much. Right. So the second Think Too Much, which was on the other side of the, the B side, was called Think Too Much B. The first one was Think Too Much A. And in that, there's a direct le- reference to my father. Uh, yeah, he said, and, and the thing, the line was, uh, uh, and in the night my father came to me and held me to his chest. My father had three heart attacks in his life. He said, there's not much more than you can do. Go on and get some rest. Uh, the song was about, uh, uh, the song was about, uh, a, div- a divorce I was going through. Uh, so that's one song I remember. Uh, there's a song on the Rhythm of the Saints album called Further to Fly. And that song is all about my father who had, uh, he had cancer then. And I, I was really writing about his, you know, his demise that was going to, I mean, it was, as it turned out, he he lasted a pretty long time. Um but anyway, those two come to mind. There are probably others. Oh, yeah, there's, uh, no, no, like Graceland. No, that, I'm the father in Graceland, you know. My traveling companion is nine years old, a child of my first marriage. Well, I'm the father there, but father songs, that'd be, interest, that'd be an interesting subject. Different yeah. uh, out of uh, father and mother songs, you know, hearing uh, what writers have to say about their about their parents yeah i you know was your father very physical with you in other words would he hold you would he hold you close to his chest would he or was he a distant man he wasn't distant and he wasn't really physical either he wasn't a big hug and kiss guy but i never thought of it as like he's distant i guess uh, i didn't have any example of some other family where some father was very very affectionate did you feel uh, feel a sense of guilt about how successful you were is that why you co-wrote a song with your father did you feel like you had a hand which song did i co-wrote with you my wrote father? you do perform you did something with your father where you released some song no yes i'm telling you you did 
Well, uh, I believe you. You do? No. Maybe I'm making that up. <laughs> no, I listen. No, no, I don't believe you. <laughs> but I, you know, I'm on your you show. You're on my, I'm, I'm you're on right. show. So I mean, so you were you were using the name True Taylor. Oh, oh, you're talking about when I was like, uh, yes, sixteen. Yeah, but yeah, you, the, yeah. My father played bass on the Hey School Girl record with oh. Tom, uh, with Artie that was called Tom and Jerry, and then I made some other solo records by myself when i was 16 or 17 and he played he played on it so yeah uh is that when he said to you um i'm not going to compete with you because no. i'd lose when did he say that oh that's way 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 later how'd that make you feel that your father looked at you and said i'm not going to compete with you I'll, I'll i'd lose it's sort of sad um you could say that, um, but I didn't think that way. Um, I'm not sure ac how I actually thought. Uh, so I'm going. I'm, I'm thinking now how I would have, what my reaction to it is now, as opposed to what it was immediately. My reaction to it now. I have a. This is a complex aspect of my relationship. Uh, my father was a, a successful musician. He supported supported family. He was a middle class uh, family, and uh, he was a he was a working musician. That's what he did. Uh, you know, he he began when he was uh, a teenager in high school, and he was a musician. As I said, he mostly played dance music, but occasionally he would, you know, get uh, a gig playing like the Jackie Gleason show or the Arthur Godfrey show. Or would he take you with you with him to? No, no, you, no, you couldn't do that. No, were you just mesmerized that he was doing? I mean, that's showbiz. Whose dad has anything in showbiz? You know, well, we were excited, my brother and I, when they would when it was a television show. Sometimes they would show the band, so we could, of course we could see my father. But uh, no, uh, well, I guess we must have been, yeah, because just sure. the idea that anybody went on television was was exciting, you know. And don't you think your musical interest at that age to become an accomplished guitar player was to somehow relate to him and 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 be close to him? No, it had to do with uh, Alan Freed and rock and roll and Elvis Presley. You said the greatest quote about Alan Freed. I forget where the heck you were. You gave a speech and you got up. It was so funny. He said, you know, I want to thank Alan Freed. So, again, I'm going to botch this, but something about I want to thank Alan Freed because um, back in the day, you paid him a couple of bucks and he played your song. 200. Uh, 200 bucks. And a play. week. Yeah. And, and you said a, and, week? Uh, a week for two weeks. <laughs> was that, when you and if it wasn't a hit after two weeks, he wouldn't play it anymore. <laughs> and if it was a hit, he didn't take the money. Wow. Now, how do you know this? Is this from experience that... Uh, I know it because the guy who owned the record company told me. And and, uh, and and you even said it was a joke, but you're like, you know, things used to be simple in the record business. I, Alan thought, Freed that, I thought that was perfectly fair. <laughs> but, you, know, you, 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 you pay somebody who plays your record, that's great. Okay, fine. Yeah. It's not a hit, he won't play it. Right. It was uh, better than Dick Clark. Yeah, yeah. What, why do musicians have a problem with Dick Clark? Well, I don't know that the musicians do have a problem with Dick Clark. Uh, but my experience with him... Uh, Which, by the way, uh, let's set it up for the audience. 
You're 15 years old. You're going to high school. Yeah, six, you, it just turned 16. It was, in, it was in November, and I had just turned 16 in October. And I can't imagine this being 16 years old. This is how unbelievable your life is. This is why someone needs to sit down with you for 37 hours. At 16 years old, you managed to write a song called Hey School Girl, and the song becomes a hit. And you're on American Bandstand. It was unbelievable. Unbelievable. You know, it was, yeah, it really was. It was, it was a teenage dream. First of all, like, we got to, uh, we got to go to Philadelphia, get on a train and go to Philadelphia. This was like an adventure all, all together. And then to go actually on American Bandstand. And m my first memory is they show us into the dressing room. And they're like sort of crouched in front of the mirror, combing his hair is Jerry Lee Lewis. You're on the bill. You're on the show with Jerry Lee Lewis. Well, he they were taping several shows, so right. we weren't on the same show. But he, we were there on the day that he was taping his show and we were doing our wow. show. And I, I looked at Jerry Lee Lewis and I thought, this guy is really scary and he is not from my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely yeah yeah but anyway the thing with dick clark which I, i'm sorry to say it because he's passed and he was a nice guy he was a nice guy but when you when you played the show you had you had to belong to the union uh aftra i think it was right so the union scale for doing the show was like 221 dollars you know so for 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 us, for me, I was like getting an allowance of $15 a week. So the idea that I, we were going to be paid $221 a piece, Artie and I, we were thrilled. Right. You had to sign the check over to Dick Clark. Wow. You endorsed the check and he, he kept it. Kept the, oh. oh, my God. Well, I heard like I, I heard that like a lot of artists are pissed off, too, because they signed away their rights. They, 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 yeah, he, he did that, too. Yeah. He did that too. Uh, with us, he didn't do that. What he did was uh, he had a pressing plant in uh, in uh, Pennsylvania, and you had to press with him. With Alan Freed, you had to give him the publishing on the B side of the record. Oh my God! Wow. That was pa that was Paola in the in the fifties, which all exploded, and the guy who took the fall was Alan Freed. Yep. But everybody did it, and that he took the fall. He got booted off New York radio, and he died a few years later. He died young. He was he was a you know he probably was a cheat, but he was a great <laughs> he was a great figure in rock and roll. Yeah. Uh, well, you know it's weird too. But in, in fact, fact yeah. oh, Sorry. Don't go, go. In fact, this is one of my strong memories. His show was called the Moon Dog Show. And Moondog, I don't know if you, if you, he might have, no, he was around, he, it's not before your time. Moondog was this character in Manhattan who dressed totally in a Viking outfit, you know, uh, uh, and he was, uh, he actually was a, a quite an interesting musician. Uh, Philip Glass knew him. He was a good, but anyway, he'd stand on the corner in Manhattan. And uh, I guess he'd recite poetry or something. And uh, but anyway, Alan Freed's show was was called the Moon Dog Show. 
And one day he says, we are not going to call this the Moondog Show anymore because there is a character named Moondog and he's gotten an injunction, which was the first time I heard the word injunction, <laughs> against us and we can't use that name. So from now on we're going to call this Alan Freed's Rock and Roll Party, which was the first time I heard the term rock and roll. Wow. And I thought, I really like Moondog better. <laughs> but I'm picturing you as a little kid, and you get, well, you say you got the guitar. How old were you? Uh, Almost 13. All right, 13. Some might say that's even late to start playing Not guitar. then. Not then. Now it is. You get this guitar, and this style of yours, where you pick. At, no, at, I didn't start with that. How I, did you start? With a with a pick, a flat pick. Yeah. And uh, learning the chords. Well, my father taught me when I said I, I really want to learn to play these songs, Earth Angel. He, he taught me. He said they're and they. So he taught me those chords, and they, they fit, oh, maybe 90% of the songs that were that I first heard. Uh, uh, Earth Angels, Sincerely, uh, just all the, rock and, all the early rock and roll ballads used that, uh, that, those chord structures. But you're using your right hand in a way that isn't strumming. You're picking out now strings. I am, now I am, but then I had a flat pick and I was playing... The thing that blew my mind when this guy was teaching online how to play like Paul Simon, he started to show what dexterity it took just to hit the low, the, the, the low notes on the E and then to pluck out the other. Forget what the what the left hand is doing to play the chords. The right hand is doing something I don't. I, to, well, to, the right the right hand is doing is, is now is now evolved from what I first learned. What I when I learned to finger pick uh, was when I uh, when I moved to England when I was like uh, twenty two. Is that after 21. the first Simon and Garfunkel album? Right. I didn't do anything. Right. Yeah. Uh, well, I've been going back and forth to England because I went there. I went there for the first time after the Kennedy assassination. Uh, Were you fed up with America? Were you so disillusioned that uh, Kennedy had been assassinated? I, I would say I was felt wounded by it. I I didn't. I wouldn't have thought of it as fed up with America, but I I really felt wounded by it. Right. Um, that was before people were fed up with America. Now, a lot of people are fed up, you know. But then, mm. no, we weren't. We weren't so so uh, constantly uh, disappointed. But those were dark times. I mean, Vietnam, they, Kennedy. It, it was pretty rough. But this seems worse now today, right? Everything seems. Can't real. tell. It was pretty rough then. If yeah. I think, if I think of it, it was, it, it was, you know, I mean, uh, the '68 uh, Democratic Convention and uh, you know what went on in Chicago then. Uh, 
the Vietnam protests. It, 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 might, it might be it might be an equivalent. It might be an equivalent. I don't know. It might be worse. <clears throat> Maybe it's very hard to compare them because there you're dealing with uh, institutionalized uh, Jim Crow, uh, the civil rights movement, where people are you know being you know beat beaten. Uh, so uh, in that aspect, I think, even though we still have a, a serious problem with uh, with race in this country, it's not uh, it's not as bad as it was as it was then. But uh, anyway, so, so you so, go to England. So I go to England, and uh, and finger picking. Now, how would he? This is, how do you this get is into the, this? This is what finger picking is, and it's called Travis picking, and it's it's named after Merle Travis, who's the you know the great country guy, and it's it goes like this. What's going on is with with thing, with this kind of picking is the thumb is always moving like this, and then the other fingers go. So if you take that and you go into Sun Records, you get to. So there's that, but there's wow. also mm, the poor boy. The story seldom told. He squanders his resistance for a pocket full of mumbles, such a promises. So that's how when I first learned how to use finger picking, which I then at, at that time I was using finger picks, thumb pick and two finger picks. Now I only use my nails, but I, I put an acrylic on my nails so that they're very hard. So if I want to play, I'm not going to break my nails, you know, and now I can play stuff with this like and there's a thing I'm I don't have any purpose for this this song yet but but uh uh there's something that i was fooling around with uh, recently that goes like uh um hmm. let's know Sorry, I lost my thing. I'll come back to that. Yeah, but when you have something like on Seven Psalms, when you, which I love, and that hook, that thing that you do on it, that. This sort of, sort of is influenced by English folk, the English folk scene of the 60s, which is when I was living there, you know, 64, 65. And the guys who were great were, well, this lick sounds something like uh, Davy Graham's Andre. Uh, uh, that's why I'm playing it badly because I'm not practice. E, because Edie spends a lot of time with you, she's your wife. 
Do you, are you the, are you so obsessive when you come up with a, a, a riff like that with seven songs? Are you in the house all day just playing that over and over and over again until the yeah. lyric? That's your that's your life. Yeah, and it's probably maddening to people. Now, Edie said, guitarists. Edie was a big fan of Seven Psalms from the beginning of it, much more so than I than I was, because to me it was, I don't know what this will be, and. But you kept playing that thing well, she, over and over again. Edie said, guitarists. She said, you'll see one day guitarists all over the world will be playing that that lick which i don't think was going to happen but she did you know so uh that's a tough lick to play isn't it not for me when did you know you were a really good guitar player in other words so you go to england you start doing i'm not sure the last song that i wrote which is this which is the song that that the first song that i've written since seven psalms in fact the only song that i've written since seven psalms is, is called uh when I learned to play guitar. That's so, interesting. So um, it's not. I am a good guitar. I am a good guitar player, but the guitar is is uh, like a universe. You you can never come to the end of what you can what you can learn from it. You still love it. Like you get up. What, I don't know what your day is like, but do you get up and like mm, I, I I really want to play the guitar today? It's not so much that. It, 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 well, I guess you could. It's it's akin to that feeling. It's like if I don't play, I'm I'm uncomfortable. Really, even yeah. to this day. Like I mean, I, I every just... day I play every day. It's not like I play every day and I practice. I'm not practicing. I'm just fooling around with uh, fooling around with stuff. The last stuff I was fooling around with sounds like. fooling around with here is uh, a certain kind of guitar pattern when it's which uh, by the way to me comes from going going back to to doo-wop there was a song called why don't you write me by the jacks and it was uh why, why, why don't you write me, darling? Send me a letter. And this, uh, this just sounds like a slightly changed uh, harmonic version of Why Don't You Write Me? Uh, but uh, it's just the beginning. So uh, I'm, uh, and this is a very, very uh, accommodating guitar key, E. So I'm in E. And. And then, then I'm doing that. But what's sort of interesting is I'm gluing this this chord and and to this chord, which is still in the key of E. But if I play it this way, and I play that chord, I can go to here. So now I'm in another key, and I can go back to that that phrase again but i'm in another key which means 
if I write a song to this, which I, I will eventually. The guitar part is stays symmetrical, but it changes key, which means that where my voice would fall in the melody is going to be very natural in one of the keys and is either going to be too low or too high in the other, in the modulated key. <laughs> so that means to me now, since my whole life basically, mostly what I've been thinking about is how you write songs, I think, oh, so that offers me the opportunity of changing the melody uh, while the guitar part stays the same symmetrically. So uh, there's a kind of a, a very interesting um, opportunity to use symmetry in a way that isn't typical. Well, symmetry is a very powerful force in in music and in art and in our lives. You know, we've, we we really love symmetry, and then some things that are asymmetrical feel refreshing and new to us. And sometimes we prefer asymmetry, but sometimes we find it disconcerting or unpleasant. So how you manipulate symmetry is one of the elements that you could be playing with. You know, it's like juggling. When I first started to learn to write songs it's like i was juggling with two balls which is not hard for you know then you get up to three balls and that means you oh now you know how to write a verse and a bridge and and a verse again now maybe i'm doing five five balls because i know uh, i know a lot more uh of variations that i can do and uh, isn't life weird like you spent a lifetime becoming a master. When I hear you talking about this right now, I go, look at what this guy knows. And we haven't even discussed lyric writing. You're just talking about the musical element. And the music comes first for me in terms of the songwriting. I mean, if you're writing Bridge Over Troubled Water, you're saying, I got a little something happening here on the guitar. I got, I got a hook. I, got a, I don't even know what you'd have. It's so complex. Bridge Over Troubled Water was a song that I wrote and thought as I was writing it, I don't really want this to be on guitar. I want it to be on piano. Really? Yeah, I thought of it as a piano song immediately. And uh, I was listening to uh, 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 the, the two elements that uh that um that are part part of the uh, emo uh, musical emotional thinking one came from this gospel quartet group called the swan silvertones that i love and i was listening to them and uh and the other was uh, came from an everly brothers album called songs our daddy taught us and uh there's if I showed you what it was that inspired me out of the two things, you would say, well, I, I don't see how you get that. But it gets you. In other words, there, it's like painting. I, I do some painting. Uh, that's right. I, your painting is is very good. Thank you. But what I did 
to learn to paint was to copy the masters. In other words, what you're saying is in order to learn to be a musician, if I wanted to become a songwriter, the first thing I'd have to do is sort of let my mind open up to what other people have done on the past and then build on it. Would that be accurate? Yeah, of course. Yeah. And these influences that are loaded into you come about. But at some point you said on the guitar, even though you wanted on piano, I hear this. That's how it's born, right? You have to you have to take that guitar and start strumming something. Uh, there's a lot of uh, you can learn to play guitar. You can study what came before you, and you go to what you fell in love with. Most uh, a lot of rock and roll guitarists, particular. Uh, studied the blues guys that they loved and they they made that an element of the of their rock and roll uh like the stones keith richards the yeah the stones band. or uh the almonds or um yeah a lot you know yeah. many many hendrix i'm sure right um Did you know him yeah i met him at uh monterey pop oh no kidding in well, fact i we jammed together no kidding. If you could call, if you, me playing, me trying to keep up with him, if you could call it jamming together. Why? In other words, he, he plays such a different style that you, he's all over the place. He, yeah, he was, he was an extraordinarily gifted guitarist. That's not, not a new piece of news. Right. But that's where I met him. I saw that show where he, uh, where he set his guitar on fire. What did you, know, you make of that? You... I thought it was <laughs> an incredible act of showmanship. Right. <laughs> the uh, it was, you never you never lit your guitar on fire. Although sometimes probably no, with Artie you did I, feel that way. No, yeah. I was one. Also on the bill that day was the Who. Right. And the Who part of their act then was they smashed their guitars at the end. Pete Townsend would smash his guitar into the amps and cause this feedback. And I remember from living in Lo in London when I when the Who, before before we had a hit, uh, seeing the Who do that and being just horrified at the thought of. Of taking a guitar that you have to save up for for, for so long and then smashing it, you know, it was uh, sacrilege. I, I didn't get, yeah, I didn't get the same pleasure out of that act of nihilism that the Hugh did. But but the but the Hendrix with the with the fire, I said, well, this is just, you know, how, how'd you think? How'd you think of? How'd you think of that? You know. And unfortunately for the Grateful Dead, they were sandwiched in between Hendrix and The Who. And the, <laughs> and the Monterey Pop Festival was going to be the introduction of the dead to a national audience. Because they were kind of the, probably the premier group out of uh, San Francisco at the time. There were others, you know. Jefferson Airplane and, uh, and Janis Joplin, but but the Dead were the great was the great band, and uh, this was going to be, you know, them entering a national stage. But but they had to follow Hendrix, oh, God. and then and then the Who followed them. So they seemed like uh, 
you know, it seemed uh, uninteresting in, in comparison. Did you like hanging out with other in, uh, with other uh, musicians? Because Usually. I don't know, I don't know why I think this of you. I think of you is in sort of separate category. I would almost think that maybe you were like, yeah, it's great what they're doing, but you're, you have such your own style and such a unique way of writing music. I would think almost you didn't do the hang all that much with other musicians. Well, if you mean the hang being hanging out with the other people who were stars, not too much, no. But again, my father was a musician, so there were musicians around all the time. I'm very comfortable in the company of musicians. And when I play, I, I love the, the various bands that I had. And one of the reasons that I was able to play with South African musicians and make music with them was that after the first awkwardness of having two very different cultures meet, it really comes down to how good was the track that you just did and you're all in the control room and you're listening to a playback. And if they're happy with it, well, then they're perf they get very comfortable. Everybody gets, everybody's fine when they're talking the language of music. When you're talking the language of stardom, uh, you know, I, I got to go back to Monterey for a second. The Stones weren't there, but uh, Brian... Uh, Brian Jones? Brian Jones was there in a dress. <laughs> uh, and, uh, yeah, I found that disconcerting to see Brian Jones in a dress and in some altered state also. So I, I wasn't about to say, hey, Brian, uh, I'm Paul Simon with Simon and Garfield, you know. Right. I wasn't, I wasn't going to hang, hang with him, but other musicians, and really, that's just the way it's been my whole life. One of my closest friends, I think he would say the same of me, is Wynton Marsalis, and uh, God, I, I love having spending time with him. You know, for, because you speak the same language, most on, most on, on several levels, musically. We do, although we play very different, very differently. I mean, our friendship sort of began when uh, I did a show for uh, Jazz at Lincoln Center. I, I did a performance with his band for a fundraiser. And then afterwards, we... Oh, no, it wasn't that. It was, uh, it was another time that I did a fundraiser for them with my band and his band. And afterwards, we... We had lunch together, and we were talking, and he said, uh, I don't know how, how who said what first, but what came out was he didn't, he never really listened to rock and roll. He came, you know, he grew up with a, a great, a, out of the great, one of the great New Orleans musical families, the Marcellus family. Yeah. And his father, uh, Ellis, who was a... a a very good jazz pianist and composer and he was a prodigy and uh he said i never you know i never really listened to it and i said well there's some great great stuff there he said i just always thought of it as uh you know kind of not nearly as interesting uh as jazz and i said dear did you not listen to chuck berry he said no i said well you really we should really listen to Chuck Berry because not only is he playing really good rhythm, but his lyrics are, 
He, he could have been in the Harlem Renaissance. This is an extraordinary uh, lyricist and storyteller, and he influenced the, the whole next generation of uh, everybody. Right. Be Beatles, me, uh, Dylan. There's nobody who wasn't influenced by Chuck Berry's songwriting. So we began with that, and then I'd say other things that I was interested in, and, and he, he'd take notes. Wow. You know, he was, he's a guy who's really interested in everything. And then, you know, after we did that for a while, I said, okay, so I don't really know much about jazz. So, uh, you know, I think, I think maybe one of my first questions was, well, if it's Charlie Parker and Dizzy Gillespie and they're inventing the language of that we call bebop, so it's kind of a silly question, but who's the greater? of the of these greats you know yeah. and his answer was was really fascinating oh he's fascinating he's great did you ever have him on your show no never had him on he's he's so great uh anyway what he said was charlie parker heard in his mind this language Dizzy Gillespie understood what he heard as well as Charlie Parker could play it. But who's the greater? It's, for me, it's Charlie Parker, who, where it came from is just, that's the mystery. You know, when you, when you can touch or get near to the mystery of music, well, then you're enthralled, you know? And by mystery of music... That goes on for you, too. You don't know where the hell these things you come know, from. I'm sure you know what I'm talking about. I absolutely do. That you, We all do. One day, uh, you know, uh, Love Me Like a Rock is not a song, and then it becomes a song. And where does it come from, and where does the source of creativity? Exactly. Yeah, where does it come from? That's what's interesting about, uh, about um, the seven psalms, because... It came in a dream. It wasn't the first time that I've ever dreamed something about music. But this was such a strong dream that I woke up and wrote down seven psalms, January 15th, 2019. And I have the piece of paper. Well, the, the, line, it, the, the lines, some of the stuff you wrote in seven psalms, I've been thinking about, this, this killed me. I remember I got really sad when I was listening to the music. I've been thinking about the Great Migration. Noon and night, they leave the flock, and I imagine their destination. Meadow, grass, jagged rock. The Lord is my engineer. The Lord is the earth I ride on. The Lord is the face of the atmosphere, the path I slip and I slide on. And I've been thinking, like, I mean, you know, geez, I don't know how you come up with these things. I know you were an English lit major, but I know a lot of English lit majors. They can't that come didn't, up. That didn't have anything to do with it. Well... What do you think it is? I mean, you read a lot of poetry when you were a kid? I mean, Not when I was a kid, no. What it is, uh, I think on here, I would have to, I would really have to credit uh, Bob Dylan mm. uh, for being, uh, out of my generation, somebody who wrote lyrics that were not teen-oriented or about, uh, you know... Uh, uh, and that opened the door to your imagination and said you can write about anything. It blew it, your mind. You know, it blew your mind. 
Yeah, the the early the early Bob Dylan stuff is 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 really extraordinary. After that, I, I really lose interest. But uh, but the but the early the early acoustic and he's a he's a great acoustic player. He doesn't play well. I don't think he plays plays guitar anymore. And he, I don't know. I haven't seen seen him in many many years. But I, I think he just plays piano in his shows now. Have you ever had a conversation about music with him? Because you see, yeah, I toured with him, and we, and, we, and you guys would sit around. No, because... we never had a conversation about music. Is that odd to you? Not unusual. I've never really had a conversation about music on the level that we're now talking about with Paul, or. <coughs> What about what about when you were hanging with George Harrison? I mean, there's a guy. Uh, George is more. It, George was easier to talk to. George was the most interesting of the group. Uh, John, I only knew briefly, uh, and then he was gone. What a genius! I mean, um, you know, I think back to that Central Park concert that you did, and John Lennon had been assassinated, and then some dude. You were playing the late great Johnny Ace, which was a partly about him, right? And then. Uh, some dude jumps up on the stage. Yeah. And, and and you kept going. I don't know how you kept your composure. But were you afraid at that time? I mean, that was scary. I mean, to, did you th- worry about your own personal safety as a performer? Uh, that was part of my... Uh, uh, that was part of my thinking. It was happening very fast. I could see him out of the corner of my eye get onto the stage and walking towards me. And I was thinking... You know, is this guy uh, is this guy dangerous, or is he what What's going on with this guy, and how come? How how did he even get up on the stage? Right. You know. Um, so um, and anyway, and notice they, 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 Art, Art they, they didn't t- step in to save you either. <laughs> it wouldn't be. <laughs> he backed up. <laughs> Artie was not a guy that was uh, about to throw his fists at anyone. No. But uh, <laughs> see, I would have protected you. I, I should, we should have been singing together then. I know. You know, I know. So it's come so late, late in our careers that we discovered that we we're actually uh, meant to be a duo. <laughs> right. But, but, but go back to, um, uh, these guys. You see, again, you're so, um, intellectual and articulate about music. There are very few musicians, I would think, that could sit and hang with you and talk your, you have an expertise about explaining music and, and, and and some of the symmetry of music, you know what I mean? It wouldn't be like just any musician. Could, some <clears throat> for a lot of musicians, <clears throat> what they do is uh, natural or intuitive, and there isn't their curiosity doesn't take them to describing it there's no there's really no need to describe it you know i feel like when i'm doing interviews about something that i wrote like i've been doing a few interviews with about seven psalms i think the questions about them about those songs whatever those questions may be are are not uh the answer in prose is not as insightful as the actual piece of music. I mean, what I want to say is, what I meant is what what you hear. Me telling you about what I meant from what you hear is not going to give you anywhere near the amount of 
nuance and, uh, you know, indescribable, something about music that's really indescribable. And so you can attempt to approach it with words, but you never really get it right. And most of the music criticism that you read, when it's about songwriting, it's usually about the words. Right. Because most of the critics really don't know about what's going on with music. But uh, to go back to Winton, uh, like I'd say to Winton... I couldn't play a bebop solo. I don't I don't really understand what's going on. But he say, "Well, this is what's going on." He can describe it. Yeah, I mean, he can't tell you what notes that you're going to play. So uh there's a difference between uh what Miles Davis thinks and what uh somebody who studies jazz at in a music school plays because that gift of melody and rhythm and space uh, that's a gift it can't be taught but but you could dis- you could actually describe what's happening musically musically uh, it's again it's not as effective as just listening to the music you're so right because when i was listening to seven songs and i'm listening to it and i'm responding to it and then you get to that lyric uh uh it's on uh love is like a braid i lived a life of pleasant sorrows until the real deal came i went whoa now that's something i can it blew my mind and you are so that sums up my entire life. What was the real deal for you? In other words, you're you're describing sorrows that you think when you were a kid were really bad. It's an in, kind of an indulgence, and it's kind of when you look back at it, it kind of defines you, and it's almost sweet. Yeah, but then something major happens in your life where yeah, you lose somebody or you lose something, and I mean, what were you thinking about specifically there? What was your big sorrow that, like, all of a sudden made all the other sorrows seem like sweet indulgences? I think what I was thinking of there, because it was happening at about the same time, was the loss of my hearing in the, in the left ear. Um, thinking that, that that loss for me, I mean, of course, I lost my parents too, but, uh, but that was in the, you know, in, in the, the way of nature. Right. Uh, Hearing came out of nowhere. Like you didn't. Uh, it wasn't but, uh, even gradual, right? It was just. Oh. Um, it was it was gradual, and then uh, I had a, a procedure that I was supposed to improve it, and in fact, it took all the hearing away. I, I don't know if you're allowed to do this. Can I take a break for a minute? Sure. You want to go? Uh, what pish? Yeah. Yeah. Don't well, I know about play, that? You could play a. Play a song. Why don't I play one of your songs and then uh, I'll pick one of my favorites and then when you come back I'll ask you about it. Great. You okay with that? Yeah. You having a good time or? Yeah, uh, I'm having a good time. I haven't screwed up anything. Hmm. I haven't screwed you up. No, no, I like it. Okay, good. It's All right. good. You're not sick of anything. You're not sick of me. All right. The fact that Paul Simon isn't sick of me not is amazing. <laughs> I mean, how did that happen? Amazing. There he goes. I, I, you know what? While he's taking a break, this is actually good. Because I'm thinking about like about 20 different songs. I, I probably got 20 different songs I got to ask him about. 
Like, well, then like, you cut it down because there were a lot more on that list. Well, like Kodachrome. He goes, when I think back on all the crap I did in high school. Yeah. And then he goes, um, wait, wait, when I think back to all the crap I learned in high school. I'm like, wonder what crap. Like, he says it was all a waste of time. What was the crap? And, uh. Well, it might be, you know, exactly what you talk about, like some of the things you spent so much time studying that had no relevance to your life at all. And then you got like, you can call me Al. And I bet you Paul hated rock videos. That was on MTV and Chevy Chase. But I bet you hate that. And then, oh, I know what I'm going to ask him about. This song. Still crazy after all these years. He wrote this. He was going insane in his marriage at the time. And he he was in such a horrible place. That's this is what I'm going to ask him about. And then he followed up with 50 ways to leave your lover on the same album. So, therefore, was that the Carrie Fisher marriage? No, I think that was his first marriage to a woman. Uh, I got I got I I I, got to ask him, and then I got to get to. uh, You know that mother and child reunion was written. He went to a Chinese food restaurant. And there was a dish on the uh, menu, mother and child reunion. It was it was an egg and chicken dish, and <laughs> and he wrote this. And it is a reunion. It's the yeah. <laughs> chicken and the egg. <laughs> I mean that it's just mind blowing. And then I and then I and then I got a couple of questions about the Simon and Garfunkel years, and it's already I've I've already kept them. Wow. Uh, see, I've already kept we, them an hour, but uh, but yeah. Hmm. Jeez. Hardly skimming the surface here. Well, it's just the guy's got an incredible life. You know, the other thing that uh, uh, I'm fascinated by is he's married to a singer. Well, he keeps referencing how they sing together. I just want to know how he just met Edie. at home. I find yeah. Edie very, very enticing. And uh, I want to know about that. I, I know a little bit yeah, about but, it. You know, this idea, you know, we always talk about the fantasy of two musicians yeah. being married to each other or whatever. And they actually do sing together all the time at yeah. home for themselves. Yeah, I got it. Paul, I got too much to ask you. You bet. When yeah. I think back to all the crap. When, I did. Yeah, yeah. When I think back on all the here, get on the mic. When I think back to all the crap I learned in high school, like the you, first, the first thing you said was when I, all the crap I did in high school. Yeah, well, that's you another. When you heard it, which is again what I say, like the the listener completes the song, right? <laughs> but yeah. but it's true. What like when I think my parents sent me to Hebrew school. Uh, you got to someone help yeah, Paul the, with his uh, headset. Yeah, you got to turn around. Flipped. Yeah, you got to flip it the other way. Oh, that's what it is. Yeah, there you go. Now you're all set. My parents sent me to like Hebrew school. Mm-hmm. If I had practiced guitar instead of going to Hebrew school, I mean, I would probably be in a band with you. Why are you still going to Hebrew school? No, 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 no. I've so uh, maybe it's time to you know play guitar. Uh, yeah, I should have. It seems like a great, but but what was the crap? No, you you paint. I paint. I, so that's your guitar. Ten years ago, I I sat down. And I said, I either want to go learn how to play guitar or I want to paint. And I chose painting. I'd love to be, I'd love to be able to paint. But you got to spend, it's the same way you did as a kid where you sat there and played and went to England and learned how to pick. You got to start all, it's a whole nother language. 
It's unbelievably, it's so similar to learning music. It's very similar. I used to have really interesting conversations with Chuck Close. You know who Chuck Close is? No. But who, who painted the cover to um, uh, Seven Psalms? The cover of Seven Psalms, that is about... It's a section of a it's painting. It's about a, a fifth of the painting. The painting uh, is called Two Owls, and it's by a, a 19th century... A uh, painter called Thomas Moran, one of the greatest. Thomas Moran. I knew. I thought it might be Thomas Moran. That beautiful paintings. Yeah, when you were talking about Edie, uh, married to Edie, who's a singer. Edie is an extraordinary guitar, uh, writer. Did she write that song, the, the yeah. huge hit she had? Yeah, she it's, wrote that. What I am is what I am. Uh, uh, she wrote that when she was twenty-one years old. You know, but the stuff that she's writing now and. Is a, well, she wrote a musical with... Uh, Steve Martin. With Steve Martin. Um, I wouldn't have allowed that to go on. <laughs> I take Edie home. I don't trust Steve alone with Edie. Uh -huh. writing all, you know what I mean? <laughs> no, I have I have pretty, pretty um, confident. By the way, Edie, I remember seeing her for the first time on the Letterman show. Yeah. With the New Bohemians. And I was watching that and I go, oh my God, she's so fucking cute. Yeah, that's uh, sort of what I said. Yeah. <laughs> so was the story uh, true? I, yeah, it's true. Saturday Night Live story, is that what you're going to ask? Yeah, you called up Lorne Michaels and said, I want to come watch um, Edie Brickell do her thing. Yeah, or I just said to Lorne, I'm going to come down this, this week and you know, see the show. You didn't is, say why. Isn't, isn't, fame, <laughs> isn't fame great that way? I mean, really, for meeting girls, it's the best. I mean, you know, I... I I'm it's a nebbish. It's I mean, one of the uh, uh, one of the advantages of fame. There's a, a, an awful lot of disadvantages, but that's well, you know, I, I won't even go into that. What? What? The disadvantages or the advantages? Either one. Fame is just well. I I I'll tell you this. My feeling about fame is that it's a poison, and uh, like some poisons, if you take it in a very small dose, it's like a medicine. So I'm glad I know what fame is. Well, I've, I've, I've had a lot of fame. So I think everyone, I said, I think everyone on earth knows you, who, who you are. It, it, it must be insane. Is that why you went down to Texas and then it's like sort of maybe have a little anonymity? I don't know. Edie's from Texas. Right. But go back to Edie because this is fascinating. Yeah. I love a love story. Edie, you hear she's going to be on Saturday Night Live. You go there. And the way I heard it is, she's doing her thing on Saturday Night Live, mm -hmm. and or rehearsing. No, you, it was the show. It was the show. She looks into the audience and sees you sitting there, and she almost like fell apart because she, well, like a lot of us, she idolizes you. See, I was standing next to the camera. It's nice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> what a gentleman. And uh, yeah, <laughs> and she saw, and she saw me. And she liked she liked my music before she met me, and she really liked the album cover of my first solo album. Anyway, that's what she said. She said I lost my place in the in the, and I didn't know that. But, but then afterwards, at the at the after party, we were sitting and uh, you know we were we were talking and. Uh, Everything was going great, and then then she said, "You know, how old are you?" Uh -oh. Great you know? question. And uh, <laughs> say none and of your then, business. No, I, I wasn't thinking anything about. Right. I mean, I was thinking, you know, 
I like the way she sings. I, I love the way she looks. I'm, I'm happy enough to be here. I'm not thinking, oh, hey, maybe I'll marry this, this right. girl, you know? So <laughs> I tell her my age, which was 47, I think, something. I said, how old are you? And she was, it's like 24 or something. Anyway, we have a like 24-year difference. And like there was a kind of a silence between the, <laughs> between the two of us. Buzzkill. And then, then, we, uh, then I said, uh, are you... Uh, before the night was over, are you going to come? Are you going to play in New York again? And she said, "Yeah, we're going to play at uh, the Bottom Line uh, down on uh, Bleecker, right?" Yeah. So I said, "Oh, I'll come." She said, "Great." So I went to see her there, and uh, the show was sold out. And after the, and she was going to do two shows. And after the first show, I went backstage to her dressing room, but it was packed with record company people and all of this and so i just got to say hi again and then i said well you know you're you're so busy i'll, I'll see you you know right and i left and i was i was driving away and i thought why am i driving away i came down here to okay I, I came down you here that was going to go on yeah. to see you know to see her so i called her up and i said you know how much time do you have before the next set and she said oh like uh an hour or something. I said, well, you want, you want to go, uh, I know a good Japanese restaurant around. You want to go and, and, uh, have a, you know, have dinner. So that was our first, that date. was our first, yeah, our first date. And things progressed quickly or uh, did you really have to work uh, hard? Um, they progressed pretty quickly. I came down to Texas to see her. Um, and she picked me up. It was hilarious. She picked me up. She had this uh, 1972 mustard yellow pickup truck, you know. And you know, we, we went to the parking lot and she said, oh, here it is. I said, that's your car? You know, I mean, from New York, I really was not yeah. into the world of pickups, which is a great world. But not, but foreign to you at the time. Completely. Yeah. You know, and I, I you know, I got in the pickup and she's, <laughs> we're driving, <laughs> you know, to her, back to her place. And, uh, that was our first, uh, that was our first date. Our first, uh, trip together, we went to the Atchafalaya Swamp in Louisiana. You ever been there? <laughs> no, never. You know, I've been That's, around the country, but not, not well, there. Not me, in the swamp. Yeah. Let me tell you, this is this is an, an extraordinary national park. It's the second yeah. big biggest swamp after the Everglades. You could go out on there for a, a week and not see, you know, just Dang. see these little Cajun communities of that are, you know, on the swamp. Hmm. And we went out and we spent the night out there, which is incredible. The sounds of the swamp at night. And, you know, you look in the water, you can see like gator's eyes and, you know, and it was, it was great. <laughs> great. It was great. Was yeah. it great? Are you seeing that facetiously? In other words, no, no you like it. Uh, the sounds were, you know, and Edie loves this. One of the things she loves about Texas is she loves, she loves the night. The Texas people are used to the heat, so they don't go out in the day. But when it gets, you know, so it's a hundred degrees in the day, but the sun goes down and it's uh, eighty degrees, and you can wander, wander around, uh, and you and in our places, and uh, is is 
is near a small small town. It's and it's on a creek, and so you can hear a lot of nature sounds and. And that's what, what it's like. You're, even though you're on a romantic date and you're in some new place, you're busy listening to the sounds. You're like that. You just can't turn it off. And, and so is Edie. Edie records them. Really? Yeah. And uh, some of them are on, not this record, but the record before some of the sounds. <clears throat> we went to, uh, we took the, a family trip to uh, Africa. We went to uh, the, the park in Kenya. This is another, you know, advantage of being famous is you can, you can go and do this with your family, and and uh, we did it with uh, this very, very well-known uh, anthropologist named R Richard Leakey, who's passed away a couple of years ago, right. and he took us to uh, Masai Mara. That's what it's called. It's a great, great, uh, and we went to see. A great migration, like once a year, thousands of animals, wildebeests and zebras, mar march in this long line and cross over a river into Tanzania, I guess. That's fantastic. It was fantastic. And Edie was recording all these sounds and... Oh, you gotta love her. I mean, this is like, where do you find her? Uh, like, well, there's so, there's so many reasons to love Edie. <laughs> that, that's, just, you're, you're, you're smitten. You're really in love. Yeah. Yeah. You got it right. Uh, we did get it right. Took, took a while. Because I'm not letting you out of here, but, but I want to talk about 50 ways to leave your lover and also, um, uh, still crazy after all these years. Cause mm -hmm. you were going so crazy at that point, speaking of love. You just were not happy in your marriage. Yeah, I was unhappy. Yeah, um, that that um, still crazy after all these years is kind of is substantially biographical. A lot of my songs have elements of my life in them, but they're not really biographical. They just were you like were, Fifty Ways to Leave Your Lover is really not about anything. But isn't in particular. it so? If you're writing this. Still crazy after all these years. I'm miserable in my marriage. I, you know, you don't know why, but you're just you're just in a funk. Uh, I don't know. Were you suicidal at that point? Possibly. No. No. Never felt that way. But just you just don't want to hurt anyone. You, you don't want to make anyone miserable, and you don't know what to do. And then you write after this. Fifty ways to leave your love. Like, how do I get out of this? Just, you know. Well, right. Fifty ways to. Fifty ways to leave your lover is has two different elements to it. One is I find this this little chord pattern. Which I like. Oh, it's beautiful. What's that? There's one note you hit in there that is just so it's almost it, off this. Uh, yeah. Um, let's see. What a yes, that yes. one. That yeah, it's an interesting. It's an interesting chord. Uh, I don't know what, what we call it. You could spell it a lot of different ways. But anyway, that was the verse. the The chorus. I was using a drum machine back then. Oh, is that you? You mean that? That was a drum machine? Oh, no, it isn't. Oh. I, I came in with a simple drum machine, 
and I showed it to. Uh, but I'll before I'll back up a little bit. So the the chorus, the words of that, I was teaching my son Harper, who was just you know young at the young at the time. I was teaching him about rhymes. Slip out the bag. Jack, make a new plan, stand, only be coy, Roy. He just so that was that was what that was about. The drum part, which is one of the the most sampled drum parts, that's Steve that's the great, great drummer, Steve Gadd, maybe oh. maybe the premier drummer of my generation, or certainly one of them. There are a couple others. But Steve would be you could argue that Steve was the the greatest drummer of my my generation, or certainly a, one of them. Anyway. It's a great drummer. Do I have the? Let me see. Just get yourself free. Yeah. Hop on the bus. Gus. You got to start. Start from the beginning. Yeah. You just slip out the back. Nah, you no. Here, here you go. There it is. So you originated that with a, a drum machine. And then you bring it to him? No, no. Much, much more credit to Steve Gadd than that. I'm playing the song with my drum machine. And Steve says, I was in the Army Corps of Drummers. And part of what we had to learn were these parade drum things. So I would practice these kind of beats. Wow. He said, what about that? And I said, yeah, sure. Let's try it. And I mean, that's so iconic, that drum. Yeah, it's wonderful. Well, he's, he's a, he is a great drummer. And that chord progression you played is so good. I'm, I'm thinking, too, the drums on uh, Cecilia. Well, the, the, the drums right? on Cecilia, that's all handmade. Yeah. That's, that's handmade. We made that. Uh, we were living... There it is, Paul. Hey, people think that's a drum. I always thought it was a There's drum. No drum in there at all. No drum. I'll tell you how that happened. Oh, I love this song, Paul. Come here and kiss me. <laughs> I'm no Brian Jones. I'm not in a dress, but I'm. Uh -huh. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, so how so did we, you come up with that? We were we were out in L.A. We were we were living. Uh, uh, I mean, Artie and I had rented this place in L.A. on Blue Jay Way, the song, the yeah. house that George wrote a song, Blue Jay Way. We Did were, George write Blue Jay Way? Yeah. Na, 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 Blue Jay Way. Yeah. Uh, it was the summer of the Manson murders. Mm. It really was freaky. Horrible. Uh, but we were sitting around uh, one night with a bunch of guys and... Maybe three, four people, something like that, and um, just you know having a smoke and and hitting guitar cases and playing, you know, whatever it might have been, eight or nine minutes that piece, and we were recording it on a, a kind of a portable. Um, a portable recording device that had a very high quality I can't remember what the name of it is now Nagra, that's hmm. what it's called and uh, we were recording all of this and and you're banging on your legs and, and, a, and a guitar case right? and anything, people are just hitting they're doing step stomping and whatever and it goes, it goes on for 8 or 9 or 10 minutes and I listened back to it and the first thing I noticed is that Something within the Nagra is causing the thing to have like a slap back. So, so if you go, bop, it goes, bop, bop, bop. 
What a sound. That, and that's what I said. And then I said, there's like a... There's like about a minute and 15 seconds in here that's really good. So we say to Roy Halley, who was our engineer, let's take this minute and 15 seconds and make a loop of it. And then when you made a loop, you really did make a loop. You'd have like a two different tape machines and they'd be, you know, could be eight feet apart. This giant loop would go around. Yep. And we were let it go around like four times, and now we had three minutes and thirty seconds. And I said that that's good enough. Now, now then, then I said, "Well, play it and let me do that, and then I'll write a song to it." And that's mm -hmm. one of the first songs that I, where I made the track and then wrote the song. So the drumming thing, you got it on a loop. We're here and did that, and then you go, uh, the, the, you go, uh, I go. The I go <laughs> This most simple things that you can do, except, except that was playing it on a dobro guitar. You know what a dobro is? No. Uh, it's a it's a metal guitar. It's all metal. It's uh, you hear it in blues. It was it was a blues guitar. It was uh, I've seen them, and and it's a special sound, right, Paul? Yeah, because the guitar is all metal. It's not wood. Uh, I mean, even this too. All these weird sounds you come up with. Everything look that that's not Yes I'll tell you about that one. That's an interesting story. Uh when I was still living in England, uh and just before I came back as the sound of silence was becoming a hit, I started to get booked uh you know, I was playing solo. I started to get booked in other countries, and I got booked uh, to play a, a show in Paris at uh, this theater. And there were other acts on the bill, and one of the acts on the bill was called uh, Los Incas. And they were these guys from, uh, I think, Argentina, Argentina and Peru. They were South Americans. And they played that song, El Condor Pasa. And I... I really loved it, and I I told them I loved it, and they said, "Well, here's our album that has that on there." So I took I I took the wow. album. Wow, I didn't realize that. That was 1965. You know, uh, by the time we were recording "Bridge Over Troubled Water," which is 1969, I say to Artie, "You know this." This track is so magical. Why don't we just see if we can buy the track? And I'll write a song, because there was no lyrics to it, and I'll write a lyric to to that melody. And the, 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 the melody is, is hundreds of years old. It's called El Condor Pasa. Yeah. Oh, I'll tell you... I'll t am I talking too much? No, you're not talking enough. Keep going. I mean, uh, I, you, you tell me when you're done talking to me. I mean, because I don't uh, want to wear you out, but uh, this is just fascinating me. Okay, so, uh, yeah. well, anyway, El Condor Pasa is a very, very well-known song in South America, particularly out of Peru. And it's three or four hundred years old, so, I mean, that's really a hit. 
uh, something lasts three, yeah. four hundred years. <laughs> That's a hit. <laughs> so, uh, so anyway, I did re- write words to uh, to that, and we did sing it over the track that uh, that Los Incas made in nineteen sixty four. And uh, and at that point, I was thinking, I don't see any distinction between something that I really like that comes from Peru or something that I like that comes from Jamaica or it's just all music to me. And I don't see why that can't be on our record. So uh, so that's how that so that's the birth of you accepting world music. Exactly. You, you weren't limited by right. uh, barriers. And, 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 and so, yeah, it's such a beautiful song. When your mother said to you, let me tell you, finish this story ahead, before yeah, yeah, I yeah, go. Yeah. So, I took a trip one time, and, and it'll only be one time, to the Amazon. And uh, we were... We chartered a, uh, chartered a boat and I was sailing down the Amazon and we pulled into like a, a, a tiny little village with thatched huts and kind of no road but two strips of like con- concrete, you know, and crossed by another. And the village, you know, maybe it had 15 huts in it. And we're walking and uh, we come to one hut and there's this girl is playing a nylon string guitar. So we stand outside and and uh, listening to her for a while, and then we came in, and I said to her, the translator, "I know a song from South America." So I play El Condor Pasa, and she says, "Yeah, well, I know that song. We all know." She said, "I know a song from America." I said, "Oh, play it," and she plays "The Sound of Silence." Oh man, no kidding. This is in the Amazon. She broke into it. You know what a lot of people don't know about Sound of Silence? They don't realize you released that on your first album, and no one paid attention to it. Uh, Essentially, right. Yeah. And then when you went off to England, there was a guy, I, I think Tom... Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson. Tom Wilson said contacted you in England and said, hey, I took your song Sound of Silence, and I added some stuff to it. What happened was a radio station in Gainesville was playing that that and was starting to get requests and a radio station in Boston was playing it and was starting to get requests for it and Tom Wilson who uh produced the first electric Al- Bob Dylan album uh you know subterranean homesick blues and those songs he brought the musicians who played on that and he overdubbed them on top of the acoustic version. And I was in England. I mean, Artie wrote to me and said, they want to they wanna re-release The Sound of Silence, but put electric guitars and drums on it. Is it okay with you? And I said, yeah, I don't care. It's fine with me. Thing oh, you did? I thought you heard it and hated it. Then uh, you- I, I heard it and I, I didn't hate it. I heard it and I thought, that's okay. Nothing great. What a song. Hello, darkness, my old friend. You had to say to yourself when you wrote this, I'm I'm, I'm pretty good. I didn't say I'm pretty good. I said, this is better than I usually do. 
this is the best one I've written so far. But you, you didn't say to yourself, "This is this is the song that's going to define me." Like you don't have any sense of that. No, I didn't. Wow. Still remains. I still get chills every time I hear it. Do you? I like this song a lot. And I do it completely differently now. Because you feel like... Well, that's an electric version that's played. And the way I play it now is... uh, And the way I sing it... Somehow the song has become something different. Like, uh, I wasn't here on September 11th, but a friend of mine said, Oh, I loved, uh, they played, uh, they played you singing Sound of Silence. Well, I said, that was on the 10th anniversary of September 11th. I sang Sound of Silence, uh, down at the World Trade Center in front of, the families of uh, first responders and so. Hello, darkness, my old friend. Come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence Somehow that song has changed its meaning over the years. It has gravitas uh, is, now. It's different. It's diff- It's different. That's good luck for me that that happened. You know, I mean, some songs, most of what happens from what you wrote 30, 40 years ago is dated. That song uh, has something else. Even the, the version of a couple of years ago by Disturbed. Did you like that? Yes, I love that. Yeah, I liked it very much. I thought they really, I thought they, you know, did a, a another uh, musical way of approaching it, and it was accomplished very well. Guy's got a nice voice. Yeah. I flipped out over this. You ever call those guys? And I called him. You did. Yeah. How nice that you did that. Yeah, I called him to tell him I really, really liked it. What would he say? Oh, he was. You know, of course, he was. He was pleased that. Uh, you know, I mean, I could have said. I could have had that. I don't see why, but I could have had a reaction of like, uh, what you know, what are you doing to my song? But I, that I didn't feel that way at all. The Lemonheads, Mrs. Robinson, I love too. Do you like it? So so. Really. Sounds pretty 
Yeah, it's good. I don't like Elvis's yeah. version of Bridge Over Troubled Water. Me neither. Oh, thank God you said that. Uh, and, uh, you know, there was nobody that ever that I liked as much as Elvis Presley from 55 to 57, 1955 to 57. Right. I, just never, nothing ever hit me as strong as that. And then after, uh, too schmaltzy. This for you know, it's it's the the problem with this is. What is the problem with it exactly? The problem is if you if you'd have left Elvis Presley to just sing that song. He would have been great. But instead, they virtually copied the Simon and Garfunkel record arrangement, which is like a kind of a dearth of imagination. Because he loved the song. It's in, his, it's in one of the documentaries on him. And uh, you see him rehearsing it. And Did that blow your mind? Because you loved Elvis. I mean, he's one of the reasons you got into yeah. business. I saw him sing it. It's the only time I ever saw Elvis Presley live. And, uh, but I didn't like it. Yeah, I know. I, I saw him at Madison Square Garden and I didn't. No, I was disappointed. And, and, you know, what he could have done with it if they'd have left him alone. Imagine him sing. with an acoustic guitar doing that and really showing his vulnerability. It could have, there could be any number of ways where he could have made it something that was extraordinary. Look, Aretha took, took it and made it. And, and brought black church to it, uh, which it had in it anyway. But the, the Simon and Garfunkel version is not that at all. I didn't like the Aretha version, and I know that's controversial because I love Aretha Franklin. I, I, I thought it was great. You, you like this? I mean, the voice... like it i love it really I... the only thing i don't like about that is the is that don't trouble the water why don't you just why don't you just let it be you know she put those two songs together you know because they were sort of gospely at the time yeah i don't know it's it's so funny with the and i'll tell you the other one too hazy shade of winter the bangles i loved it yeah, great. You like it. Better than us. And she is so great to look at. And she's singing this song. I, the whole experience turned me on. She, uh, she, there was a, uh, there was a CBS, uh, Grammy tribute to my music last year. Yeah. And she sang it. You know, speaking of tributes, funniest thing to me was when Steve Martin came out. You were winning something, Kennedy Center Honor yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. He comes out and he goes, you know, Paul Simon, uh, I wrote, uh, helped him with 50 ways. It was 47 ways to leave your lover. <laughs> and I gave him a couple. I gave him a stand for the plan and this and that. I'm watching your face during that. That, that was great. You're, you're, you love him, right? Yeah, I like Steve a lot. He also yeah. said then during that, he said, you know, I don't, I don't use the word genius lightly. <laughs> I just thought I'd say that. Yeah, that was just great. <laughs> <laughs> He's something. You like comedians. You know, it's funny. When I think of Paul Simon, I think of a serious guy. You know what I mean? I just think because of the lyrics and everything, you're just like, but, but you enjoy the company of comedians. and I like doing comedy. 
you know, uh, Lauren and Lauren Michaels and I are closest of friends. We met the summer before Saturday Night Live was came on. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Oh, that long ago. The friendship goes back. Yeah. yeah. Well, I did the second show of Saturday Night Live. Did you recognize his genius? I mean, he is a genius in, in that he put together that crew and, and I mean, changed the way we watch television. That was like an appointment that you had to make. Did you recognize that in him right away? No. No. I just liked him. We didn't know whether that show was going to be good or not. I just liked him and thought it was interesting. The people were funny. Uh, Gilda was funny to hang out with. Chevy was funny to ha hang out with. And Dan Aykroyd was fun. Uh, Lauren has a great gift for recognizing talent and putting things together. And he's an extraordinary editor. So he can take a piece and say, uh, you know, take that out. The, the, it should lead to this. This is the laugh line, and then it should come here, and then cut it down to this and this. and. Uh, but anyway, I just liked Lloyd, and he's still, we're still closest, closest of friends and actually neighbors in New York. Uh, but we just became friends because we were uh, similar, similar backgrounds, even though he's from Toronto, but... Uh, I sort of felt you, you uh, when you put Chevy in, um, you can call me out. Which was a great video. I love it. Lauren's idea. That was Lauren's idea. But I sense in you, and I could be, I don't know why I'm projecting this into you, but I don't think you much enjoyed having to make a music video that to you, the music speaks well, I, I love that one. Yeah. I, don't get me wrong. It's yeah. a great video, but I don't think that that was your dream or vision of being a musician. Uh, no, I, it isn't. Uh, but that, that one, that one was fun because it was, because it was funny, you know, and, yep. um, and it was so simple too, you know, so, uh, but, um, for me, the power of hearing music is much more emotionally, uh, intense than seeing it. So, uh, I, I wasn't a fan of music videos. I think it changed. Uh, I, I think there's no denying it changed what music was and it became more about what people looked like than what people sounded like. And a, a, a lot of the music, a lot of the magic of music went away because uh, because it became more about a visual than an oral sensation. And uh, so, uh, yeah, I don't. I, I, I like listening to music and not looking at music. I know in your career you tried using drugs to see if you could enhance the music process, see if it brought something out in you. Uh, maybe some pot. Uh, mm -hmm. I don't know what else you, you use. I know you took a couple of acid trips to see. I didn't like that. <laughs> I didn't like that. Uh, what I liked in the psychotropic world was ayahuasca. Really, which I, but I haven't, t I haven't taken that in twenty, twenty three, twenty four years. Did you go to one of these shamans and like go overseas? Well, the first time I I had it was on that Amazon trip, and um, and I wrote a song about it. It's on the Rhythm of the Saints album. It's called Spirit Voices. But uh, then I didn't do it again until uh, around uh, late 90s. And I stopped in 2000. 
Why stop because... I had a a really bad experience. I I had many, many great experiences with it. And... um, but then I had a really bad experience with it, and I and I stopped. But uh, I, I put that into perspective too, to, just to go back so that it doesn't sound like I am a a, a big proponent of uh, psychotropic drugs, even in this mini microdose right. that's been talked about a lot. What I my my feeling about it after all is said and done was I would have gotten the same information anyway, just. As time passed, but what what does happen sometimes with this is you make very interesting connections between things that you wouldn't ordinarily connect. But again, uh, and, and that helped me quite a lot. And the the album that is most influenced by that is uh, called uh, "You're the One." Uh, the pot experience. <coughs> Which I also think is, I've, I've come to the conclusion it was a, a big waste of time. I'm with you on that. Uh, it was a big waste of time because it fed you a lot of misinformation. Either it said, that was incredible, or it said, God, you're, you're terrible, you know? And uh, what happened is that after this experience, for a couple of days, you had to say... Is that was that really incredible, or was, was it really that terrible? You know, wait a second. You know, maybe. And I, then I thought, you know, this just takes so so much time to like rethink what I you know that it's not worth it. So I skip it. But the big thing that I learned with that is, if you smoke, quite often. Be, you get negative thoughts, or some people get paranoid, you know? So I used to typically get negative thoughts uh, when I would smoke, if I was smoking, and then I was going to write. And one time, this was my breakthrough on this, one time, um, I smoked a little bit, and then I was going to play, and the voice in my head said, you know, that's that's no good, that's no good, you're really, t- you're actually, you're really not that good. You know, and I said out loud to the voice in my head, you're right, I agree with you, I'm not, I'm not that good. I, I have a question for you. Who the fuck are you? Right. <laughs> you know? Well. What did you write? Oh, nothing. Oh, okay, well, I'll see ya. I gotta go to work. Well, thank God you worked your way out of that, because I was going to say to you earlier, your mother once said to you, you have a, you have a nice voice, yeah. but Artie, Art Garfunkel... When you were kids, she goes, yeah. our Garfunkel has a fine, fine voice. voice. Yeah, that was a mistake. Maybe that, that was said. the voice. Yeah, I mean, that can really screw with your head. That's the yeah, voice that, in your head. Yeah, it's, uh, well, there's a negative voice that we have in our head. And because that voice is coming from our internal selves, we tend to think that it's truthful. Right. But it, but it isn't. It's no more truthful than it's not. It's not necessarily truthful. I mean, it's there's nothing wrong with being self-critical. It's very helpful, but uh, being destructively self-critical is just—it's just wasting your time. You know, wasting your time with something that's shutting you down. When no, get on with the work, and then you can decide after it's done whether it's 
worth anything or not worth anything. Or in my case, what I what happens with me is when I'm finished, I say, I'm finished. I don't know what it is. And I won't know what it is for a long time. And other people are going to decide anyway. You know, they're going to say, ah, this album is really good. This album is no good. You know, and they're going to be they're going to be right, but they're going to be wrong. Right. You know, uh, I'm not going to agree with it. Uh, uh, essentially, or eventually, what you come to is you have to decide for yourself what you think about how, what you're doing and how good you are. And you come, you do come to some kind of thing of where you think you're, you know, uh, your realistic appraisal of how good or how not good you are. And that's the definition. And it doesn't matter whether somebody else says you're a genius or a piece of shit. It doesn't really matter because in your mind you think, I actually know where I think I'm at. Yeah, but Paul, can you imagine if you were starting out today with the Internet and these kids who brutal. like, oh, it's brutal. I mean, you you know, I don't look at this stuff. I mean, I've been doing this for 40 years or more. And uh, I won't read this stuff because people go, oh, he sucks. He's I, horrible. Read, I don't read it. I it's never, horrible. Yeah. Uh, you know, you, you said could, you don't even listen to critics. You don't read your critics. I don't read it. No, no yeah. I don't. When, you know, when I think back to this relationship you had with Art Garfunkel, it's so beautiful in a way. You know, as a kid and going into the music business and writing songs, you're so insecure. I mean, you don't know what, if you don't even know if you're going to be making a living. People don't even know you went to law school. You were so smart. You actually passed the law, uh, you no, know. I was so stupid that I went to law school. Oh, no. Wasted, wasted a year. <laughs> but you no, got in. I had no business. I went there because I, a bunch of my friends were taking the law boards and, uh, they said, you used to take them. So I said, okay. And I took them and I scored very high on them. So I thought, what's your IQ? Stupidly. What is your IQ? I don't know. You never been measured? Well, they used to, you know, there was a time in the New York City school system when they had actually to save money. They they took junior high school, which was 7th, 8th, and ninth grades, and they compressed that into two years for certain students, and they called it special progress classes. SP. And, yeah, SP. Right. And you had to, I think you had to have an IQ of, of at least 120. So I was in that. So I have, I don't know what it is, but I it's mean, something, pay, something, you, over, something like that. Frivolously, you take the law boards, I mean, the law exam to get into school and you, and you take it and you pass. I mean, that's uh, an incredible. No, it's feat. not a pass. That's not, it's not like taking uh, the bar exam. You get a high score and that's supposed to be an indication of your aptitude for law. So I, I said, oh, maybe I'm supposed to do this. I never thought I was supposed to be anything other than a musician. Thank God, right? Where you does know? that come from that you did, you know, if you have just a plan a, B? Just a mistake, you know, just, yeah. you know, you think, at a, you know, you're trying to figure out at a certain age, who am I? But I was in law school and I thought, I don't know what I'm doing here. I want, I, I, I'm interested in having these people work for me. <laughs> right. I, I, Handle I, your publishing. Yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to be this. You know, I want to hire this, you know. But my point is when you, this, you know, you're starting out on your career, having a guy like Garfunkel who sings beautifully, he's your security blanket. In a sense, he's, he's your lover. He's, I don't mean in a physical sense, but, Definitely not. No, no, he's not your type. I think I'm more your type. 
<laughs> anyway, um, uh, no, what I'm saying is, what a security blanket. But then we fast forward to when you finally have had enough. And, you know, Artie's off making his movies. And he's not he's not playing the game with you anymore. And he's keeping you waiting in the studio. That must have that divorce that you suddenly saying, that's it. I'm going off on my own. I read what you put yourself into therapy four times a week. No, that's not so. No, no. I have it wrong. Yeah, I would think you would. What happened to Artie? And it wasn't Artie's fault. After we did The Graduate, Mike Nichols, who was the director of The Graduate, said, I'd like you both to be in my next movie, which is Catch-22. Right. So we were thrilled. Uh, the next summer, he called me up and he said, you know, we wrote the, the screenplay and it's so long that we have to cut out parts and we cut out your character. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Great. So uh, Maybe I'll cut I you out said, of my songs then, dude. Uh, no, I, you know, I, I didn't take it that hard. You know, I said, oh, okay. He said, so I guess Artie will have to not be in it too. And I said, no, 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 Artie should be, if Artie's character is in, he should be in it. So Artie goes to do this, and I was very much in favor of him doing that. In fact, I wrote a song about it, The Only Living Boy in New York. Right. It's about him going down to Mexico to shoot Catch-22. But like a lot of movies, it just ran over. And we were in the midst of making Bridge Over Troubled Water. And this was interrupting... Your flow. And and Simon and Garfunkel were at their, at their peak. Yep. Then, you know, after The Graduate, from The Graduate to Bridge Over Troubled Water, we were, we were probably... Oh, please. As big as the Beatles. Absolutely. You because know? when you think about The Graduate... Oh, this is a masterpiece. This riff. Oh, that's Scarborough Fair. Are yeah. Are you going to Scarborough Fair? I mean, you talk about being big. You're not only in the graduate movie, but you wrote. You got, you got just on that, on those albums, and then you have from the graduate, Mrs. Robinson. The hits are coming like insane. Artie's priority should be, hey, I got to keep Paul in the studio writing and we got to keep recording, I think. Artie was, uh, Artie was understandably excited about being in a movie with very accomplished, gifted, people. Yeah. gifted people. And I get you know? it too. If I was Artie so, and I was yeah. hanging out with you, oh, I finally have something on my own that I can excel at. Well, what was going on in the studio, though, was a, a real tug of war about taste and how to how to do it. It wasn't just the movie. It was also we didn't agree about, you know, we're we're friends since since we were 12 years old, but our musical uh, inclinations are quite different. <laughs> uh and so we would have disagreements and the disagreements could be, you know, real arguments that could stop, you know, stop a session cold. So that was happening at the same time. And the thing was exacerbated by the fact that we were having to wait for Artie to get released 
from from his shooting schedule to come back to New York to start, you know, to fill in. Meanwhile, his head is really in the movie, his, which is understandable. I get it. You know? I, I get it from his point of view. But, Absolutely. But from yours, forget about it. I mean, no, the thing that stopped me with with that was Chuck Groden, who was in Catch-22. I'd be, was an Artie's friend, and Artie introduced him to me, and Chuck and I were became very good friends. Chuck said, uh, you know, Artie is doing Mike's next movie. And I said, no, I didn't know that Artie's doing Mike's next movie. So uh, Was that I, Carnal Knowledge? Carnal Knowledge. Yeah. So I said uh, to Artie, hey, Artie, are you, are you going to go and do another movie now? And he said, yeah. And I said, why didn't you tell me? I just heard it from Chuck Roden. He said, oh, I was afraid if I told you, you'd stop working on Bridge Over Troubled Water. And I thought, I got to get out of here. Yeah, good for you. I got to get out of here. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and uh, when we, you know, uh, uh, I was married to Peggy then, and, uh, we were talking about it, and she said, well, yeah, why should you, what are you worried about? You write the songs. When we left, well, first of all, I, I, I came up to Clive Davis, who was the, who was the president of Columbia, and I said, uh, I'm going to leave. And he said, this is the, big, that's the biggest mistake of your life. He said, Simon and Garfunkel are a household word. Shows you what he knows. You know? And I said, well... You know, maybe someday at the end of my career, people will say, you know, and in the beginning of his career, he, he was part of a duo, Simon and Garfunkel, you know. But Clive said, look, I, you know, I wish you good luck. But as a record company president, that's it's really a hard blow for me to lose the biggest selling act that we have on the label. Um, so. We broke up. We would have broken up anyway. Right. Uh, duos don't stay together. Don't stay together. You know, uh, Mick and Keith, they broke up, and then it was such a nothing happened either that they came. They, they came, went back together. They yeah. Came, they came back. But John and Paul, uh, you know, Don and Phil, the Eagles. Well, they got back together again. But they, but these when they get back together, it's not about the the. Uh, it's not about the music; it's about the business. Don't you feel? But do you feel bad for musicians like, like, like Pete Townsend? Even he's brilliant, but he can't sing his own songs. Don't you love that you have the ability not only to write these songs but to sing them? Yeah, I'm very lucky that my voice is still still okay. Yeah, it's a, it's amazing to me how frustrating. Like Robbie Robertson wrote those songs for the band, and yet you know, but he wasn't. Robbie wasn't really the, a singer. No. That's what I'm saying. He couldn't sing his own songs. Thank God you could. I mean, and and handing uh, Art uh, uh, Bridge Over Troubled Water, for example. No, I think he would. I think I'm um, sure. I still feel that he's he certainly was going to sing it better than I was at that time, and probably it took me many years before I would sing Bridge Over Troubled Water on a, a show because you were afraid of being compared to Artie's original. I, no, I wasn't afraid to being compared. It didn't bother me if I was compared and people said Artie sings it. I prefer Artie sing. That didn't bother me. Right. Uh, I didn't feel in control of the song. Partly, I guess, because Artie did do such a, a 
definitive version, and then Aretha did another equally definitive version that I wasn't sure how to sing it because I never sang it. I, I wrote it, and I said, Artie, this is for you. How generous. And by the way... It wasn't really generous. It was actually... The, I thought that was the way it should go to make the best record. It is beautiful. It is just... It's otherworldly. The whole song... Was it hard for you when you'd be in concert, doing it live, and now Artie to sing Bridge Over Troubled Water, and you kind of move to the side, do you say, fuck him, I wrote the damn song, I want to tell these people, I, 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 mean, I don't know if that exists in you, but it does in me, I, I, I need the credit. Uh, it's true, except for the fuck him, I didn't say that right. to myself, I, 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 didn't, I really didn't say that, I thought he really did a... a, a but uh, you know the song was so powerful immediately uh but but he i was i think i come out i think i came out and sang the last verse as i do on the record right but, I, but i'm not positive anyway it doesn't matter right uh, he did a he did a great great job of that it's permanently there it it certainly helped make that Yep. The most popular song of that year around the world. Absolutely. And I'm very proud that I wrote it, but it's. Uh, I'd rather sing The Sound of Silence just for myself. Can, right. I, take, can I break again? Well, let me ask or you what I done? should do. Well, let, let me tell you what's going on. I'm getting word from your people that you have a noon appointment. Oh, yeah, I have to get a COVID shot. Oh, I got it. Yeah, I just, yeah, I just got it. Yeah, you need that. Um, so I don't, I don't know. I would love if you took a bathroom break and we, we talked a little more, but I don't want to, uh, wear out my welcome. If uh, you want to no, wrap no, up, let's just do a little more. I'll a little a more. Break. Okay. Yeah. Another maybe 10 minutes or so. All right. You're like me, man. I got to pish every friggin' minute. It's a drag. It's a it? real drag. I, I, I'm having a procedure <laughs> soon. I don't, I won't want to bore you. No, with don't do that. No, no, I'll, no, I'll tell you about it yeah. later. Yeah, I don't want to bring it up on the air. <laughs> don't do that. Yeah, I don't do, believe me, I don't want to do anything. Uh, in case you're uh, just tuning in, we've been sitting with uh, Paul Simon. His new album, Seven Psalms, is available wherever music is sold. And, uh, of course, you always hear Paul on the bridge, our, our channel here at Sirius XM Channel 17 and the Spectrum uh, Channel 28. And uh, what an amazing man! What a what a what a treat this is for me. I I'm so moved. You know, he's one of the people who is wise. Yeah, he sure is. He, and I listen to him talk about pod and so forth and so on and all of that stuff. And it's like, yeah, he got wiser. He didn't just sit there and keep smoking. <laughs> you know, he's uh, this thing. This stuff, you know, gives me bad feelings sometimes. I'm not doing that anymore. My problem is, too, you know, there's a song on bookends that, um, you know, Old Friends, you know, it's one of my favorite songs. Old Friends, sitting on... How terribly strange to be 70. It's a song about two two old dudes sitting on a, on a park bench. And, and then there's America... What a beautiful song. Let us be lovers, we'll marry our friends. 
birthday tear in my bag So we bought a pack of cigarettes And this is Wagnapies And walked off to look I mean, since he's uh, 16 years old, he was on American Bandstand when he was 16. I can't imagine what it was like for Paul Simon to go back to his school after that, after being on American Bands and have a hit record. No, you can ask him. Uh, (laughs) He's right here. (laughs) Oh, it must have been. That's when he had to have gotten his first girlfriend. I mean, uh, you got to be able to score in high school if you're. You got if you're on American Bands. Well, they were. He also said they were doing gigs. You know, like they were working musicians, just yeah. like his dad, doing parties and proms and stuff. I gotta ask him about selling his catalog. I'm running out of time with him, and this is what happens with me because I could talk to somebody for 17 hours. Oh, there's Paul. Okay, let's get right back into it. Paul, <laughs> yeah, what what it was like in high school? Oh my God, Paul, I can't imagine. It was, it was so great. <laughs> We did American Bandstand, yeah, which, of course, made us like these celebrities of the of the school, you know. But also, I was batting leading lead off and playing right field for. That's another thing people don't realize about you for the you know for the baseball team. Yeah, we wow. made. Uh, you were a great baseball the, player. I made the all star team, all queens. Help Paul with those headphones, will you? Oh, there, yeah. You got it. Yeah. yeah. People don't realize you were a really good baseball player. No, I was a high school baseball player. Yeah, but you said you know, you, you, your dream was to be on the uh, the Yankees, right? No, I gave up that dream when I stopped growing. But uh, you know, uh, but uh, yeah, when I was a kid, I wanted to be. Uh, but they didn't I would have loved that. Yeah, but they didn't want you on the high school uh, baseball team because they said, "Hey, you're too short." This and that. No, and Mima, you were hitting that. about three hundred. No, they, yeah, I did. I, I hit over 300. It, no, it didn't have to do with uh, my size. It had to do with that skipping a year. Oh. So uh. by the time I was 16, I was a senior in high school at 16. So they didn't want me on the team because I was going to be a senior and not play the next year. And I always felt like if I hadn't taken that stupid SP thing. You'd be on the team. And not not only be on the team, but I'd also be like king of the high school for another year. You know, <laughs> you're not kidding. Uh, and and by the way, when you so when you, I mean, again, I think there's a book in this. Just going on American Bandstand at 16 years old, girl. I mean, that's when you lose your virginity, correct? I mean, it's got to be. I mean, people yeah. must have been throwing themselves at you. Am I correct? Yeah, but it was a, a little bit later. <laughs> How is that possible? <laughs> well, it's just one of those unfortunate things that happened. It was a little, turned out to be a little, a little bit later, not much. Why did you lie on American Bandstand <laughs> and tell Dick Clark you were from Macon, Georgia? Like, he said, hey, Paul, where are you from? Or you were Jerry at that point. Uh, he goes, hey, Jerry, where are you from? You go, Macon, Georgia? Yeah. Like, like, what were you thinking? Well, you know, I was in my own dream world. That's where little <laughs> Richard came from. Yeah. So oh. I wanted to come from Macon, Georgia, too. And poor Artie, they say, where are you from? And he said, Queens. <laughs> Come on, man. It's way more interesting to be from Macon, Georgia. The other thing, so so anyway, I, I just can't imagine that experience. And the other thing I need to ask you about, because I know I'm running out of time with you, selling your catalog. Mm-hmm. Now, I figured maybe you, okay, maybe at your, this point in your life, you say to yourself, 
I want to settle up my estate. I want to know what I have and blah, 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 blah. And it's kind of rewarding to get money like that. It's big money we're talking about. Um, certainly not life-changing money for you because you have a lot of money. But here's how I thought. Okay. My kids are not interested in running my publishing company. Right. They don't want to make a decision about whether uh, Homeward Bound should be a commercial for, uh, you know. McDonald's. Exactly. <laughs> They're not interested. And uh, I don't blame them. Right. They're, they're all musicians. They're all composers. They're interested. So they're not going to, they're not going to run it. They're, so, so I'll leave it to them in my estate and they'll sell it. Then I said, I might as well sell it now and give them the money now. Right. Cause, uh, it's not a job they want anyway. And, uh, that's that. <laughs> Having said that, um, I don't regret that I did it, but I have some regret some regrets about it it's a strange feeling to not have actually have my hands on it even though i have a lot of control over what can be done written into the contract what i mean they like bridge over trouble water can't be used for anything other than public service announcements and but why would a bank or whoever these corporations are that buy these these songs they want to maximize it they're not interested. They want if McDonald's wants it, brother. I'm giving it to you. Um, why would they buy your catalog and then agree not to allow bridge over troubled water in a in a in a in a tidy ball commercial? Well, that was part of the. That's the deal. That was the deal. Yeah. Wow. You know, it's, uh, it's uh, not just bridge over troubled water. It's like I think there are ten songs that I have specific control over. I mean, you can't use "Sound of Silence" too easily either. Mm. Uh, but um, that was important. You know, why? Yeah. What happened then? What happened then? I think I, I'm not. I'm not really uh, great at finance. But what happened was interest rates were so low. These, these corporations had a, an enormous amount of cash. And so, so they bought, bought, bought things up. The interest rates were like zero. They weren't paying any. You could, money was very cheap. So they went and, uh, they went and, and they, they bought it. You know, they bought, uh, they bought Bob's catalog and, uh, and not the same companies, different companies. Right. Um, but, uh, a few, a few people. A few people now. Now more and more, I just saw Katie Perry. That Katie yeah, Perry right, just yeah. sold. Yeah. Just sold it. Anyway, it's something. In my case, it was. There's nobody to run this company. I mean, nobody want. They don't want to. I don't want to give this as a burden to my kids. Here, you have to take care of my music and you, think of like I would think, which is impossible. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, yeah, so I did it, and uh, I'm 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 happy with it. But I have a little bit of a little bit of regret that I'm not uh, I'm not completely in control. Yeah, yeah, I would imagine it's weird. Do you walk through a room sometime and and discover where your music is on a commercial that's playing? No, I have approval of commercials. Right. Oh, you do. Okay. Yeah, they're not going to do something with that that doesn't have my approval. But I'm not, I'm not allowed to unreasonably withhold my 
approval, you know, except for these couple of songs where I have uh-huh. total control. Uh, the album we're talking about most is Seven Psalms. It's available wherever music is sold. Of course, you can hear Paul on the bridge, Channel 17, here on Sirius XM. This is a dream come true for me to sit in a room with you. I, if you would have told me when I, was, when I was a boy growing up that I would someday sit in a room with Paul Simon and he would graciously play the guitar and, and talk about his music. It's overwhelming me, actually. So uh, I can't thank you enough for doing this. I want to plug a couple of things, too. There's a documentary out on you, which I, I'm about an hour into it. I think it's fabulous. Oh, have you seen it? Yeah. Uh, Alex yeah. piece? Well, I got it yesterday, and I, I was mesmerized. It's, it's a documentary. It's called In Restless Dreams. Right. And uh, there's great archival video. If you're interested in Paul Simon and what went on in his life, uh, this just screened at the Toronto Film Festival, and it's really well done. So, uh, you know, if you can... They're showing it out in your neighborhood in October. Oh, is that right? At the East Hampton... Oh, no kidding. ...festival, yeah. And, uh, you know, to me, I mean, you know, every I don't think there's a... There's, there's several times a week I'll wake up and hear the... Uh, and I dreamed I was dying. And I dreamed I was dying. Oh, sorry. No, I love that <laughs> lyric. I mean, I don't know why it, that's the lyric in my head over and over and over again. Is that? Do you have a greatest song or greatest lyric that you ever wrote? Is there any way you think like that? No. Um, there are a lot of individual lines and songs that are, I think, are uh, lines that I'm pr- particularly proud of or happy with, pleased with, you know, comfortable with. Um, but I don't know that I have. A, I don't know that I have a favorite. No favorite riff, none of that. It doesn't work that way. Well, maybe, maybe. You know, I, I, I would say of the songs that came from a mysterious source, you know, when where you feel, you know, it's a bit of a cliche, you know, as, as Robbie Robertson actually said to me, oh, yeah, you're a conduit. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> yeah, right. you know, but actually there is a... Th- there is something where you feel as if the the music is coming through you and uh you're you're a part of it but it's not starting with you it's coming from somewhere and it comes through you which is why i woke, woke up from the dream and wrote down seven psalms but if i think back of three big examples of that the first two I was too young to be aware that this is a this is something special that you should you know treasure when those mo- you know be aware that these moments are happening. The first one was the sound of silence. Bridge over troubled water was like that where I said, "Hmm, wow. Whoa. What is this? Wow." But the one that I where I knew it was Graceland. So wow. the song Graceland. So Paul, hey, just give me one last answer. Mm-hmm. You seem very wise. You've done your share of ayahuasca. You've experienced the world. You've lived through everything. You've created great masterpieces. Is there a God? Because I need to know. I'm getting older. Is this it for me? Am I going to die and that's it? Or am I going somewhere? Please answer it and uh, in a serious manner. Uh, I can't answer those particular questions. This is my feeling about God or creator <laughs> the 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 planet that i'm living on 
is so beautiful and the universe is so awe-inspiring if it was if that is the work of a creator i say thanks so much i really really love your work on the universe excellent work for coming from me paul simon to you <laughs> really dig what you're doing if it turns out that there's another explanation for creation I am still unbelievably grateful for my existence. I still think it's amazing. I don't feel like, oh, I've been a fool. I thought it was, uh, I thought it was God, but it's another. It doesn't matter to me. The fact is, is uh, I'm grateful to be alive. I still think there's good and there's evil. If you said there's no God, I wouldn't say, oh, well, then I can go and uh, kill people, or, you know, or, you know, act in a, in a way that is immoral. Im right. So, so that settles the question for me. And I know I'll never know the answer. And there's something pleasurable about not knowing the answer to the secret. The same with like, the you know, the, as you said earlier, you know, the magician. I don't want to know how you do the trick. I'm I'm really glad to, to I'm really happy to think that that card appeared on the window outside <laughs> by some you know how you know I don't want to know how, how you fig, how you did it. Well, so I'm I'm content with. I'm very grateful. It's an awe-inspiring experience to be here and alive. And but it's so cool. That's the end of it. We have this existence, and then we have to disappear it's hard. well i had a friend he's passed now his name was uh gaelic he was a rampache he was uh he was a tibetan lama and i was talking to him about this and he said uh he said well look i come from a different tradition from you so maybe it's easier for me to think this way but what i believe is uh, people are afraid when they die, oh, you're going to go into this dark, endless thing. He said, I think that there's this dark phase lasts for about three weeks, and then you uh, become reincarnated. And I said, I don't really, I'm not inclined to believe that, but the fact that you believe it, and I have so much respect for your wisdom makes me feel that that's certainly a possibility well on this topic i'll leave our audience with a lyric from seven psalms i'm not ready i'm just packing my gear wait my hand's steady my mind is still clear i feel the same way it's a beautiful lyric you are a beautiful man uh, the world thanks you, but I just want to tell you, because I don't know if I'll ever see you again or speak to you again, but thank you for an incredible experience in my life. Your music and what you've written and your appearances and even you being on the Dick Cavett show, showing Dick that you're in the middle of writing a song and I, all of it. I It's endlessly entertaining. And you are just a remarkable man, and thank you for being here, and thank you for even... Very kind of you to say so. Thanks. I, en I enjoyed our time and our talk. Hope we will see each other again. Me too. The great Paul Simon, Seven Psalms, and go see that documentary, too. It's, it's really good. What's it called again? Paul? It's called uh, In Restless Dreams. It, I, it okay. will find its way to... Uh, 
to one of the uh, you know one of the streaming services you know Apple or uh, Netflix or something I don't it's it's going to go it's going to end up there right now it's at it's just doing the rounds of uh, festivals at the Toronto it's going to London it's uh, it's out here in East Hampton they're going to show it on October 6th I, I imagine it'll be available on television sometime maybe in the early spring if we should ever meet again, I'm going to ask you about writing um, Mother and Child Reunion and how you got the title for that off a Chinese menu, because it was the Mother and Child special at the restaurant. Well, there's no reason Chicken to meet. There's no reason to meet. You've already told them. Told the story. <laughs> I know. I just love it. Uh, Restless, in Restless Dreams is the documentary, so check that out. Paul? Good luck with the COVID shot. I kiss you, but um, you haven't had your COVID shot yet, so I'm not interested. Mm -hmm. I I thought you had it. That works to my benefit. Thanks. (laughs) Thank you for all the feels, because you always put us in a place. Thank you. Right at the very beginning of all of your music, you're in a world. Yep. And then we're being told the story, and I love that. Thank you so much. Thanks, Paul. And uh, we'll see you next time. That's it. And next time we'll do that on Sounds of Silence.